One Pride, this is the Royal Alliance UK podcast, the podcast where One Pride goes worldwide. And we are starting off Saturday strong this week with a double dose of the Royal Alliance UK podcast. Sorry, our scheduling has been put a little out of sync this week, but work and other stuff has just been a pain and got in the way. So we're all chilled out. We're going to have a nice Saturday morning here with you all. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined here by Ryan McCluskey and also Hank as well. We are here with a special game day version of the College Football Podcast. Ryan, how's things? I'm good, yeah. Like I say, Hank, basically still in bed. But he's here in spirit. But no, it's good, yeah. Like I say, today is going to be a fun day. Last week was interesting. And it's just the whole landscape is now taking form. Like I say, SEC is is leading the way. It's powering on. And there's some teams that are really starting to make a name for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot to talk about in regards to Week 7. Ranked teams were falling. We, you know... We, we saw all sorts. So I say this is the college football podcast, Vols of Ons. And today we have the finest of meals served up for you. So we're going to start you off with a nice little starter, some nice little hors d'oeuvres, some vol We're going to talk about the FCS. There was a big, big matchup last week, rank number one versus rank number two. Um, then we've got the main course, the... Uh, finest slices of our rolled a tide there was a very very big shock this weekend and it is going to be great to chat about that and then for sweet sweet dessert we're going to talk about this week's week eight fixtures there are some doozies and we are going to go through all them for you so very quickly go through the housekeeping then we will crack on with this so um royal lines main podcast coming later today we're going to be talking about the dallas cowboys fixture tune in for that one uh royal lines discord if you want in just let us know we'll hit you up with a link don't forget to like and sub to everything and then we're part of lions nation unite as well the app run by herman moore um lions content creators creating creating uh, content for the fans and just a really big shout out to herman moore um, it was his birthday the other day, so happy birthday to the great one himself. Hope you had a wonderful day, Herman Wright. We are going to crack on with a bit of news first, because there is a little bit of news this week. So, the FBS, it's getting itself a new member. So, on July the 1st, 2024, Kennesaw State will be leaving its home in the Big South Conference in the FCS and will be moving on up to the CUSA here in the FBS. So they are located in Kennesaw, Georgia. So instantly, recruiting problems. Get some real big teams there. But um, they are the second FCS team who are waiting to make the jump up and join the CUSA. So Sam Houston State will arrive next season. And then the season after that, 2024, Kennesaw State are going to make their way up. Right, just for anyone who's maybe not familiar with Kennesaw State at the moment, you watch the FCS. What can they What can they expect when the, uh, the Owls, I believe, is arrive in a couple of years in the CUSA? 
they're one of those teams that are always like a in a mix for the perennial playoff spots. Might say like those four to eight seeds. Good high powered offense. They've got some strong defense. They've competed well at the FCS level for a number of years. Have some nice yellow unis. They look good. And but no, they're one of those teams that I'm surprising they're making the jump, but they've seen a gap in the market where the FBS and the Sun Belt is potentially about to be torn apart, so they've decided to make the jump early and I think this is gonna be a trend now with the big shakeup of the conference realignments in the FBS. The FCS teams are gonna make a chance to jump early. Look at Jam at you this year. It's a shame. Rules state that in your first year jumping up you can't be bowl eligible. Otherwise JMU would probably walk into a bowl game. But Sam Houston, like I say at some point, I don't know, the Dakotas will. But they'll probably do it together. I feel like the South Dakota and North Dakota, you get them as a package. You probably don't get them one without the other. But yeah, I think this is going to be a growing trend now. So it's not going to be easy. But it, we've seen already that one team can compete in the Sun Belt. So why can't they too? So the future is going to be really interesting watching I, these teams make them. I was about to say, do you think the sort of relative success of James Madison this season, how well they've sort of taken to it will inspire more teams to come up who may be fearful of making the transition. Like, you know, if, if you come up and you're organised and you get it all re ready, said and done, then you can compete at the next level. Make make some bigger paydays with these ball games, etc. Oh, yeah, there's there's so much money to be made. Like I say, the, the ball games, increased revenue, you can probably increase your stadium. And yeah, like JMU have had no cakewalk of a schedule. Like I say, got that loss, but to a good George State team. They've beaten App State, so they've played some pretty solid FPS sides and have so far come through battle-hardened. I think Sam Houston can do the same. They've been a perennial national championship contender for the last few years. Kennesaw State have not had the same amount of success, but I envy anyone that's got the courage to do it. It's a brave move. It could backfire, but... You'll never know if you don't take the risk. No, absolutely not. Um, Hatters House 710 is in the building. Says, go Bruins, UCLA, fight, fight, fight. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Do UCLA have a doozy of a one today? We'll talk about that in a bit, but, you know, they could be uh, they could be viable Pac-12 championship contenders by the time this day is out. I'm looking forward to watching that one later. It's going to be one of my most fun ones to watch today. So we'll talk about UCLA in a little bit. Um, just in terms of other bits of news... Um, nine teams remain undefeated. We had 15 going into last week, and six of them fell. So the teams left, Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, Ole Miss, TCU, UCLA, and Syracuse are the last ones standing. At least one more will fall this week, because there is one matchup amongst those two there. I mean, going into week eight, Ryan, are there any of those who you like? My God, I never thought they were going to be undefeated at this part of the season. Well, you've got to look at TCU, but Syracuse as well. Right, mm -hmm. Syracuse have not. The schedule's been difficult. But they've also taken care of it fairly well. They've beaten some sides that in the past they've struggled against and some sides that are struggling this year. So they've managed to meet some sides, probably not the best form. But I think those two, they pretty much control their own fate in their conferences. Like I say, especially TCU, if they want to win the Big 12, it's all in their hands. Like I say, they won't need any help from anyone at this rate. So it's going to be interesting to see how they pan out because... I don't know if playoff contenders are, but 
an unbeaten like a 12 and 0 TCU side, it has to take playoffs. It's got to be at least be in contention. A 12 and 0 Syracuse side, like say, probably won't get as much love, unfortunately. But that that that's it. At least one of them has got a good chance of going at least 11 and one. Yeah, I agree. TCU are the shock. I mean. Kansas State and Texas left on the schedule, but aside from that, it's utterly winnable if they can win through against the rest of them if they uh, turn up and do the job right. So, you know, today is a good good, good test of their credentials. If they get through this, then they could run the table, which would be a shock, but a good one nonetheless. And quick shout-out, not going to do that whole AP Top 25 stuff. It is in the rolling ticker below, so if you want to see what the rankings are, I can only do to 20 because it only gives me that much, but just wanted to give a shout-out to Tulane, Ryan. They have made the AP Top 25 for the first time in 24 years. They're ranked 25th in the nation currently, but um, they're low-key having... I was having, I was sort of having a look at their schedule, their results the other day. They're low-key having a really good season, and no one's no one's really talking about it, but fair play to them first time in a quarter of a century, making the polls right. Yeah, and they're keeping some really good teams out. That 25th spot is probably the most hotly contested seat in the nation, because there's about a million other teams at, like, 5-1. and one. But they're having a fantastic year. Their offense is high-powered as well, last few years. It's been gathering a lot of momentum, and they can drop 40-50 on a team weekly and they're just hit, hitting form at just the right time and their conference totally wide open because teams in themselves have, have been struggling have not been as thought, strong as they thought they would be so yeah there's a good chance that if you want to finish the year inside the AP poll like I say they can kick on now and try and get another 5-6 wins oh yeah absolutely absolutely sky's the limit for them and say their schedule looking pretty favourable going forward so we might be talking a lot more about them in the future right that's really everything in sort of the news there may be some other bits but I'll roll them back to next week's show and we'll talk about them then because we've got a lot to go through today so starting off I'm going to hand this one over to Ryan he's going to give us the update on the latest in the football championship subdivision including the ding dong battle between the top two ranked teams in the nation last week so Ryan what uh what happened in the all-out Dakota slugdown in the FCS? Yep, so there was two massive results that affected the playoffs this week uh, in their current championship standings. So my first, my FCS performance of the week, I've got QB Davius Richard of NC Central. He went 17 of 24 for 217 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and also rushed nine times for 66 yards and two touchdowns. So six touchdowns all on his own, and NC Central had a massive 59-20 week, so no one played much better than him this week there. The other game I'll mention is that Montana, the number three team in the nation, they lost to Idaho State. Like I say, they have slipped four places in the rankings, and they have fallen to about fifth in the big sky because it was a conference matchup. So that is a massive dent in their potential number one seeding. So they'll be upset about that and reeling off that one. So that was a big loss there on their part. But the game of the week, the number two SDSU South Dakota State Jackrabbits against the number one North Dakota State Bison. And it's not even an upset because South Dakota State came out on top 23-21. They retained the Dakota Marker Trophy. They've now won the last three meetings. NDSU has not won since 2018-2019. In their last 10 meetings, they've split 5-5. Five and five. 
So the NDSU sort of dominance nationally does not really play out in its rivalry. They just dominate everyone else. Very interesting game. So the SDSU defence had no tackles for loss and had no sacks. But the NDSU defence had five tackles for loss, three sacks and a forced fumble. But under under Heptaluke, their running back, there was no running game going. It was held to about 60, 70 yards. But SDSU piled up over 200 rush yards on the ground and just chewed up clock, controlled the time of possession and stopped any offense getting going from NDSU. So they will now move up to number one in the rankings. They're now the number one team in the nation in Jackrabbits. Like I say, they've got that big win over their rival and they hold a pretty good record like it's in the last 10, 15 games. They seem to have the number of North Dakota State pretty well. So these two could be on a collision course to meet again in a national title game where NDSU will try to get some revenge. The last win, I believe, was in the playoffs. So the last one, I think, counted. I think the last three regular wins now are in the third season. So the rankings this week have had a bit of a shake-up. Up to three where Montana were at Sacramento State. Let's say they've gone up three places. Elon are down to 21. They've dropped a whole seven places again because they lost to a ranked team. We've now got four unbeaten teams in the top 25. It's 6-0. Oh. You've got Sacramento State, Weber State, Holy Cross, still holding their own Patriot League, and Jackson State. They're all 6-0. Oh. The new teams to come in the 25 this week are the Idaho Vandals and New Hampshire. And dropping out is Villanova, Eastern Kentucky, and the southeastern Louisiana. So the playoffs are definitely taking shape now. I'd say despite Montana's loss, I'd say the top five of Montana, Montana State, both Dakotas, and Sacramento State, they seem to be the front runners. I'd say right now you're going to look at a national title game from those five teams currently, but you can't rule out Dion Jackson's Jackson State and Holy Cross, still unbeaten, dominating the Patriot League, want a fourth straight title in a row, but yeah, it's, it's heating up very nicely, but the Bison will be upset and look to ride down this week because their offense usually goes through their run game. And this week, it didn't happen. And a few of those backs want to get drafted, especially Hunter Luke, the fullback. He's one of the players I'm watching nationally as a potential fullback running back at the next level. I don't know. Do, do you feel like, do you get the sense that there is a power balance shifting towards South Dakota State with this one? Or is this kind of just, you know, it, it is the regular season for what it is, but it doesn't mean much in the long run? I mean, in state, I'd say right now, yeah, they probably hold all the power. But they're going to have to follow that up now and try to hold on to that number one ranking. Because they've made the playoffs in the last few years, but they haven't won a national title, I don't think, for quite a while. And they've got some star players. Jackson and Jaden Yankee. They've got like two twin wide receiver brothers. Might be the best pair in the FCS in the nation. So it's not like they don't have power. They've got solid, and they just sent Pierre Strong Jr. They're running back to the draft as well, so it's stacked with talent. I now want to see them go on and have postseason success and dump the Bison out if they meet them. That is where they let themselves down when it gets to crunch time. And NDSU, they like to say they're two years into a new head coach, but things just don't change. They just know how to get it done in the uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't mean nothing in the regular season if you can't back it up in the postseason. But well done to South Dakota State for getting the win on that one and yeah shock there on Montana that Idaho team got wrecked by UNLV and I mean wrecked wrecked and that is not a good side and you're like 
can go and knock them off. That is, that's a surprise. That's a real big surprise. But yeah, thank you for that, right? So that's everything going on in the uh, the FCS at the moment. Of course, we'll keep you updated week to week as to what's going on with the playoff pictures and everything there. Right, let's move it on. Uh, quickly before we do, I'll just say hi to Ash. Ash is in the chat on Twitch. I know someone who is going to TCU versus Texas. Hey, that'll be a banger of a game if TCU are still unbeaten. So hopefully they enjoy the day out there. Right, let us move on into the week seven preview uh, reviews because there is a lot, and I mean a lot, to talk about. Now, I've forgotten this the last few weeks, so I'm going to start with it this week. But Ryan, I'll quickly hand it over to you again. The UniWatch, who, who showed out and who did not show in terms... Of the uniforms this week, so a fantastic week, quite say one of the the best helmet week I think I've ever seen in college football. So the first favorite uniform is Duke. Unfortunately, they went down to the other team we're going to talk about, but they wore their blackouts. They wear black with like blue pinstripes, and they wear the helmet with like the stencil bevel on, and it's a really nice look for them. And it was a, a fantastic matchup there because on the other side. It was UNC. The uniforms, the Jordan, the white and blue, but their chrome, like, baby powder blue helmet with the foot on. I'm yet to find what the foot actually represents for UNC. But it's like, a, it's like, do you remember those ice lollies that had a gumball and the big toe? Yeah. That shaped foot, yeah. But it was a beautiful helmet. Those two did battle. But Utah, like, Utah mm. went out and did a tribute to Ty Jordan and Aaron Law, former players of Portugal, passed away. They spent like a hundred hours hand painting like their faces onto their helmets. They were black and red. They were wearing their black and red uniforms like on the shoulders of the helmets. They painted them on both sides and an incredible amount of detail went into those helmets and probably a very touching tribute to a lot of them. I think it's maybe a year or two now since they've passed and they have tributed them. I think they had their names all on their uniforms last year which must have been a nightmare for the officials. But it's a second tribute, and they were beautiful. But one team that really let me down, the FIU Panthers had, like, this Miami Vice helmet. Now, it had, like, it had like black with pink sparkles in the paint, and it had, like, purple 305 in, like, GTA, like, nice purple writing. But then they wore their dull, normal Navy uniforms, and it just didn't look right. It looked like, again, it got lost in PE. Their helmets were fantastic, but then they just had these basic uniforms to put on, and that could have been number one if they'd have made more effort. Because people go out there, look at the helmet; it was beautiful. Like I say, it looked like something out of like San Andreas, like it was been like graffitied on. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that I love that helmet. You know, you you Miami Vice anything up for your uniforms, and it's hard for you to screw it up. Really, that'd be a home run hit for me every day of the week. I, I fully agree. And yeah, I don't know who made the decision for them to go with those regular regular uniforms, but you're right; they should be panned for that. The help, but yeah, I agree with you. Helmets was great. I still don't know what that foot was on UNC either, and it ruined that helmet for me. That chrome, that yeah, that chrome. Oh, sorry, go on. I think Ash has just put in the chat, what is a Tar Heel? I'm guessing that's what the foot is, but I can't oh, know for the yeah. I know they're Tar Heels, but I thought that had something to do with like a goat's hoof or something. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You know what? I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to check that out. But Ash is, Ash is probably right there in regards. So, yeah. But no, yeah, the helmet game was amazing this week. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the teams come out with today. So have got a rare day to be able to sit down 
and just watch it all. Right, let's move on to some of these results, and there are a lot, so of course we'll go through the pick watch ones first, and then we'll go through some of the others, because there are some teams who need a telling off this week, and there's only one place we're going to start, Ryan. Um, you know, you, you, you get mentioned in the title of this show, and you get to go first, so of course the show today, Vols of Ants, the Volunteers, the Tennessee Volunteers against the Alabama Crimson Tide, and this might be one of the best college football games I've seen of all time, Alabama 49, Tennessee 52, as Nick Saban's team is knocked off and their unbeaten record is gone, and Hendon Hooker and the Volunteers have gone from, can they do it, to, yes, they damn well can do it. I mean, this game just had about everything, Ryan. We had uh, punts where, you know, the Alabama player, he didn't need to touch it, his teammate... The way the ball bounced, his teammate thought he touched it, so he dived in to try and grab the ball and then just knocked it flying into a bunch of Tennessee players. One of the worst special teams mistakes I've ever seen before. You had Hendon Hooker and Jabari Small pass the ball off to one another and the ball didn't move. The ball just levitated in the air, fell to the ground, and Alabama ran it in for the easiest pick six you will ever see in my life. You had uh, Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker slinging the ball in a million different directions as... <laughs> As both teams' secondaries really suffered. Alabama's secondary got torched like a you know a well done stake, and then on Alabama's side, Jameer Gibbs once again just absolutely torched that uh, that defense there for uh, you know torched the Volunteers' defense. It ends up with a last second you know field goal right at the end after Alabama have just missed one. It's a walk-off win for Tennessee. The fans stormed the pitch. The goalposts are uprooted and dumped in the Tennessee River. I mean, where the hell do you even start with this one? This was just a, a, a clap all round. This one, Tennessee and Alabama. Yeah, it was just an. It was a gun show. And Tennessee, this is their time. This just feels like their season. It's like, if they want to make the playoffs, I feel like this was the big game where you look back on. Now the hard work is done. They just have to take care of business. And yeah, Saban, probably pissing blood the next morning. So many chances to win that game. The field goal, the, the, the hold was fine. Just shanked it. Apparently he's pretty steady from that distance. Even <coughs> that so they should have got the walk-off win themselves. But then the nerve to like go down the field. Like say, the soft zone defense from Bama that gives up that a reception across the middle to mm. Brew McCoy. Great catch. It was contested. He came down, held on to it. And then, like say, the big man with the big ball steps up, dunks it. But all game, yeah. Like say, Jimmy Gibbs, I think right now he might be my one of my front runners for the Heisman. Like I said, the guy can do no wrong. Like I said, I'd love to see him and like Bo Nix in a foot race because they're two of the fastest players I've seen all year. He is lightning. When he gets that like one cut and he hits the hole, he's just gone. You, ju you just don't catch him because he's lightning quick. And yeah, some players like let themselves down. Like say, like I know Cameron Lart, who is like their stay at tight end, but he made a lot of errors. He gave some mm. big penalties. Like say, some miscommunications, some drops. So not everyone was at the races. I think Nick could be really upset. But the Volunteers. Easily their biggest win. What was it? Their first win against Bama since what was it? Two thousand six. Fifteen so 16 years. years. 
15 yeah, years. 15 years of getting dunked on, and they get the biggest win possibly in like the last 20, 30 years because this means a lot. And yeah, it means a lot to Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker's been around the block. He's been to a three rodeos and back now. He's like, says that, that senior is going to the draft. So this will mean a world to him. And he put on a clinic as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I said this when we were talking about this the other week and we both bet on Alabama reluctantly. It's a, you know, Alabama struggled when they lost to Texas and Texas A&M. What both those teams lacked was a quarterback. Obviously, Quinn Ewers had been knocked out in the um, Longhorns game and it was um, in what's-his-face for A&M, Haynes King. You know, they're not guys who are going to get it done for you, you know, right at the very end. But if they got into a slugfest against Hendon Hooker, he is a good quarterback and he will make you pay. And you kind of got the feeling, especially when that, you know, botch snap went down and Alabama got the pick six, you thought, oh, that's it, game over. It's not happening. What does Hendon Hooker do? Leads a drive straight down the field, gets a touchdown and erases it in like a minute. So, you know... Error, error cleared, and you know he was able to bring them over the line there, and it, it was terrific. I mean, let's just look at some of the stats for this game. So, I mean, you've got a lot of obviously the offense really good on both sides. So Alabama six point eight yards per play, Tennessee eight point three yards of offense per offensive snap. I mean, that's crazy. There, they had an eighty percent success rate in the red zone. Alabama was fifty two in the red zone, which is pretty decent. Both teams put up over 550 yards of offense. On Bama's side, Bryce Young, 35 of 52, 455 yards and two touchdowns. Jameer Gibbs, 103 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. He had five receptions for 48 yards as well, so really big day for him. In terms of Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, 21 of 30, 385 yards, five touchdowns. Just one interception thrown. We saw uh, Joe Milton for one snap as well, the ex-Wolverines QB who's uh, down there. Jamari Spall, the running back, got himself a touchdown there. Performance of the day, Ryan. I mean, there's only one guy who this can really go to. Jalen Hyatt, six receptions, 207 yards, and five touchdowns. Six receptions, five touchdowns, 200 yards. I believe it's the first time any... Uh, wide receiver has ever gone above 100 yards and three touchdowns against Nick Saban. He got 200 over 205 on just six touches. I mean, that's crazy stuff there, isn't it? Boy, he just he sliced that Bama defense um, like it wasn't there. This is the most vulnerable Bama defense I've seen for a long time. They've reloaded defensive back and they're just not ready yet. A lot of them are naive, like you say, they left too many cushions and higher. He's a speedster. He was just breezing past guys. Like say, like I, people try to convince me Jordan Battle was a first round safety. Sorry, I just don't see it. The safety's got annihilated. Was it Kool Aid McKinstry? Like say that he like say he got. I think he got a pick six, didn't he? I think. I think so, but yeah. other than that, other than that though, hot toast. Like that defense got shredded. Brew McCoy on the other side who's barely played any significant football in his career because USC had injuries, he was in the portal, former five-star. He's found a home at Tennessee. He's finally firing, and he's never done that before. So he's got a complimentary weapon too. And those two, they just stretched the field. Those two just had all day down the seams. And like I said, that drive where they went just like a minute, just taking shots. The soft mm. zone, like I said, 
across the middle, the backers, you could just pass the ball in front of them, behind them, because you just don't trust them in coverage. Like I said, Will Anderson kept fairly quiet for him, which is quite strange to see, but he was handled well. And yeah, across all facets of the offense, the play calling as well was great. But defensive play calling Alabama, shaky at best. Like I say, they just played right into their hands with this playing like deep coverage, soft zones, like a lot of cover three, because they were just scared. In the end, they were just scared of getting burnt. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's weird for an Alabama defense to be like that. I mean, the penalties, they got over 150 yards in penalties. And if I remember rightly, they're the most penalized team in the nation right now. I mean, you do not expect the Nick Saban team to be 131st when it comes to team discipline. Um, But that's what they are. And I mean, the defensive stats across the board are terrible. So they had an 8% defensive run stuff rate. So less than one in every 10 rushes from Tennessee were, you know, a failure. So nine out of every 10 runs, they gained something meaningful from. The havoc rate was 7%. So Alabama had two tackles for loss and one sack. And that was it. And Tennessee, you know, starting field position was their own 25. So it's not like they've got an issue there. 20% stop rate in the red zone. That is it. And I mean, you don't expect these sort of numbers from Alabama. They just couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop hooker throwing on them. They were indisciplined. And when the clutch moment came to it, they just they just couldn't keep it out. But that's 80% in the red zone. That's just crazy for Tennessee. And you don't expect... Bama are known for the red zone defense and been able to stop teams and that. And it just didn't exist. I feel like this is a blueprint for some teams. Mm. If someone's got them beat Bama, this is how you do it. Like I said, you go after the secondary. You don't play conservative football. Like I said, you live and die by the sword. You take shots and you ask your receivers to beat DBs. And like I say, penalties. So much pass interference. I can't, I lost count. How many times were they called for PI? There was a. Some of them were a bit iffy. I'll give them that. Mm. Some of the calls were very, very soft. But some of them were just... They were too scared. They were just grabbing. They were holding. But yeah, like I say, false starts. The offensive line was shaky. There was offsides. In the trenches, Bama looked a total mess. Mm. Jameer Gibbs was having... Jameer Gibbs did all his best work running outside the tackles. Yeah. Because the offensive line for me, like, they were not making holes. They were getting calls for holding false starts. They kept getting behind the chains. And Bryce Young just could not do anymore. Like I say... His field position was getting worse. He was getting further and further from the first down marker, and he was still making plays. His tight end, that's usually reliable, nowhere to be seen, and it was just a struggle all day. And if this season went downhill for Bama, I think people would question Saban and his leadership. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's the first time they've struggled. It's not like this is a shot result out of nowhere. Like I say, they barely put away both. Texas teams, they really struggled in those and it was more kind of the other team been bad, the reason they didn't win them, so it could easily be a three-loss team now so, yeah, I agree, but give 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 fair due to the quarterbacks Bryce Young played amazing, I mean some of the throws he makes under pressure the way he extends plays is just exemplary, that's why he's going to be a top pick in the draft next year um, and Hendon Hooker, well Christ, he, if there was any doubt about him being quarterback three in this draft well, they're all gone now, he's quarterback three in this draft and it's it's not even particularly close at this point and I don't know why people still put leave this in front of him it's just for what he could be rather than what he's showing 
Um, but yeah, great for Tennessee. I mean, they're playing the Tennessee Martin Skyhawks today, so they should win that. But it's Kentucky after that, Georgia after that. So we're going to see just how just how legit this team is. But for right now, they deserve where they are to be. So well done, Tennessee. Wonderful game. I really had a lot of fun watching this. So thank you to you for that. Right, let's move it on because we've got a lot more games to talk about. A lot of high scorers in the pick watch this week. Next one, this was the early game in the week. Baylor Bears 40, West Virginia Mountaineers 43. This was a humdinger to start off the week. And the Baylor Bears really let this one slip. They were 24, they were 7 points up at the break. Um, but they gave up 26 in the second half. They really weren't able to get going after putting themselves in a strong position in this one. Um, sort of a game of two and throw. I mean, Baylor were favourites for a lot of this, but West Virginia just came on strong by the end and really, really they didn't have an answer for them on there. Um, offensively, again, another great game as you would expect. Baylor. Nine, Baylor were averaging 9.6 yards per offensive play. That's basically a first down every time they touch the ball offensively. That's just how good the offense were. It got to the point where West Virginia had to try and burn the clock when they were on offense themselves to stop them scoring points. But, you know, in fairness to West Virginia themselves, they were running at 6.5 yards per carry. Um, so, you know, good performance from them there as well. But, I mean, the numbers... Again, it's offensively, it's just staggering. So, JT Daniels, he threw for 283 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Tony Mathis, he was the big he was the big indicator in this game. 22 carries, 163 yards, two touchdowns, 7.4 yards per carry. Kept the chains moving, kept the clock moving, kept that lethal Baylor offense uh, off the field. And, yeah, it was lethal. Caden Prather got 109 yards and a touchdown in the receiving game for them. In Baylor's turn, you know, Blake Schappen, we criticise him a bit on here, he's a bit to and throw, but he went 14 of 22, 326 yards and two touchdowns. That West Virginia secondary is not very good at all. It's the D-line where the offensive stuff is. Um, took a knock, though, so his backup, Kyron Drones, came in 7 of 14, 95 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Big receiver of the day, Gavin Holmes, 7 receptions, 210 yards and a touchdown. Big, big day for him there. I mean, this was just a, a very, a very fun Big 12 slugfest, Ryan. West Virginia just came out on top, but can't really criticise any team after it. Again, another very entertaining game of football. It's weird. Like, so if Dave Ariaza had any hair, I'm sure he'd pull it out. Because <laughs> where's the, where's the defence gone? Last year, a, de a balanced team carried them to a Big 12 title game. Defence this year, non-existent. Oklahoma State just dumped them. In the first half, like through three quarters, they were struggling. They made a meal of it in the end and they fought back, but their defense is non-existent. JT Woods, Jalen Petra have gone. The spine of that defense has gone in Baylor. Like I say, their shipping points at an alarming rate. They're getting in a shootout every single week. And it's, it's bad because they, they just can't stop anyone out. Like I say, JT Daniels. He's having about as good a season I think he could have done with this West Virginia team. Like I say, he's having one of his better seasons. Like I say, he's played very little meaningless, meaningful football in the last two years. So it's good to see him just out there playing. West Virginia are very middling, but they're a team you don't want to play because they can be a bogey team. Like I say, people underestimate them, but like I say, they've got a high-powered offense. Still got some key guys on defense that can step up when needs be. 
So that there's still no mugs. But yeah, Baylor season is kind of just fizzling out. Like I say, they had all that great run last year where they could have been in, pack, in like consideration for playoff. This year, defense has just gone totally walkabout. So yeah, but it was a total shootout, and we've already seen that they've win West Virginia like a shootout because everyone would pit earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Big Twelve is just really fun this year in general. I think I, I, I've no idea who's going to win it. <laughs> just don't at this moment in time. Everybody's beating everybody, and it's it's such an interesting division conference. I mean, oh, it's great. But I, I love this one, and uh, yeah, well done to West Virginia. Um, their coach has another stay of execution. It looked like a few weeks ago, like he was uh, ready for the chop chop. But who knows? God, maybe maybe they're going to turn it around and go for a Big Twelve title. Who knows? I doubt it, but you know possibility is there right we'll move it on and there were a lot of high scoring games this weekend and the first the first test of Lincoln Riley at USC Ryan he his unbeaten record is gone and and you kind of feel like they uh, they threw this one away they were leading late on they let Utah put 15 points on him in the fourth quarter to sneak out a 43 to 42 victory and I mean We've always been uncertain about what Cameron Rising is a quarterback. We thought Cameron Rising is a good quarterback, but maybe sort of a game-managing quarterback who can do a little bit on the ground for you. He can throw it through the air, but don't put it on him to win you a football game. But he went out and won them a football game against the undefeated Trojans this week. He went 29 of 43 for 415 yards and two touchdowns. On the ground, he had 11 carries for 60 yards and another three touchdowns. He was his team's leading rusher, and he threw for over 400 yards on a USC defense, which up to this point had been pretty solid. Dalton Kincaid, the wide receiver masquerading as a tight end, 15 receptions, 217 yards at 15 yards per catch, roughly, uh, one touchdown, on the day, I mean, big, big days for their two main guys there. Clark Phillips got himself another sack on defense. RJ Hubert led the way in tackles. Highlighted those two guys last week has been big for them. They got quite a few sacks on the day, actually, on um, on Caleb Williams. And, you know, this ain't on USC's offense. Caleb Williams, 25 of 42, 381 yards and five touchdowns. Travis Dye got a rushing touchdown. Um... And then, obviously, the, the main threat pair there, Mario Williams, four receptions, 145 yards. Jordan Addison, seven receptions, 106 yards and a touchdown. Josh Fallow got himself a couple of touchdowns there as well. But, I mean, this feels eerily familiar, this one, doesn't it, Ryan? This is a Lincoln-Riley team whose offense looks really good, but in the clutch moment, his defense got ruined, and that was a problem he had at Oklahoma at times. That defense was, and still is at this point, bad. He's left them in a really bad state, and it just kind of gave you that old feeling about him, didn't it? Yeah, it's. you felt like at some point this year they were going to be exposed, and I did not see it being Utah dropping 43 points on them, because Utah, for me, are shaky. I said they get wins, but... Sometimes the offense looks terrible and Cameron Rising will throw three picks. Sometimes that defense that's lost, Devin Lloyd will look shaky and it'll get run off to 300 yards. They're very up and down, Utah, even though their record is still fairly stable. They're a team that blow too hot and cold. And this USC defense, I feel like 
looking at a schedule as well, there's still a few teams out there that can exploit it. This USC team is not built to play a football. If Utah can do that to the defense, what can Bamberg do? What could Tennessee do? What could Michigan do? They yeah. could drop a bomb. Like say, so USC, this is a huge loss. Like I say, USC and UCLA are the front runners for the Pac-12. And then on their coattails, Utah and Washington, just trying to stay there and try to pick up the upset win and try sneak in there. In the grand scheme of things, this could be the loss that cost them a Pac-12 game. They'll look back on that game and think, that was the moment. That, that, so that's where we lost that conference win. And we let all our rivals gain advantage on us. And Lincoln Riley should be really, really frustrated because they've got to put that right quickly. Because games are running out. Like I say, title spots are going to be getting booked within the next two, three weeks. So you have really got to quickly bounce back and shut up that defense. And Utah, who knows where they go from here? Do they run the table and make a serious thing? Or do they just continue to kind of tread water for the long? play some good sides of the ball. I don't know. The Pac-12 is like the Big 12. Just a bit of a mess. It's hard. It can't see, I can't see either of them sending a team to the playoffs because the rest of the conference just looks so bad. It just doesn't look good. Oh, no, no. It, it, again, the Pac-12 is like the Big 12. You just kind of don't know at this moment in time. Just a lot of teams are losing an odd game here and there and, and, and you just are not sure who is going to come out on this one. So, you know, in terms of defence we mentioned, I mean, USC got one tackle for loss. That, that was it. No sacks, just one tackle for loss. And that defensive line is meant to have been pretty good this year. Utah on the flip side... Eight tackles for loss and four sacks. Their defense bought the pressure, and I know they gave up 42, but in a game of fine margins where the points are, those sacks, those little bits there, they're the points that count. And the Utah special teams, you know, they did their job that day. USC had an average starting field position of their own 18, so Caleb Williams was constantly having to fight from, you know, near his own end zone. So they made it really difficult for them, and, you know... Fair play to Utah there. I mean, offensively, numbers-wise, you'd expect they're off the chart. 7.9 yards of play for USC, 7.1 yards of play for Utah. That's both 75th percentile and above. Third down success rate was over 50% on both sides. Red zone success rate over 50% on both sides. Again, that's sort of 80th percentile and better. So another, another ding-dong one there. So again, well done to Utah and USC, but Utah came out on top of that. And the Pac-12... Who knows at this moment in time? Um, one game that another another high-scoring team, you know, another one got over forty, but this was a blowout. The Michigan Wolverines, Ryan, they have really stamped their authority down now. The the schedule was awful before this week, but they came up against a Penn State side who were unbeaten, who looked pretty good whose defense has been pretty good and we were praising it and um, you heard the infamous words uh, from one Urban Meyer just before this game, oh the Penn State run defense is going to shut Michigan down and yeah, no, 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 that didn't happen. Um, 41-17 to the Wolverines, Donovan Edwards, 16 carries, 173 yards and two touchdowns, that's 11 yards per carry, so a first down every time he touched the ball. Blake Corum, 28 carries, 166 yards, two touchdowns. 
he was at six yards per carry. He's solidifying himself maybe as a running back three in this class. I think he's got that sewn up to himself at the moment. J.J. McCarthy, seven carries, 57 yards. C.J. Stokes, four for 22. Dropped over 400 yards on the ground on them as they kept running the football. And Penn State had no answer, which is a shocker given their defense is usually a lot better than this. J.J. McCarthy didn't have to do a great deal. 17 of 24 145 yards, one interception that turned into a pick six, which briefly gave Penn State the lead in the first half. But this, uh, the second half was a non-entity. Uh, Michigan won it 25-3 to on points here. And, um, yeah, I think you, you kind of have to start giving all due respect to Michigan now. They went out and walloped a ranked side. And, you know, they just, that ground game looks like one of the best in the nation at this moment in time, the way it goes. The offensive line, the tight ends, the wide receivers are blocking right. You know, someone's really going to have to come up with some kind of defensive master plan to try and keep that in check. This was a shock. I did not expect Penn State to be that bad. No. Like I said, I thought this is a year Penn State are balanced on both sides of the ball. Potential outsiders for a title game. Well, not anymore. Like you say, now everyone's just going to look at this and say they got gashed. And like I say, that pick six, uh, that brief spark, I thought, oh no, JJ McCarthy is, is fucked up. Penn State can have a little lead. Can they do something to try to build on it? And then, no, like I say, the second half, just gassed. The defense was just on its last legs already. Like I say, they just folded like a deck chair. Like, the offense as well, Clifford, just had no time to do anything. Nick Singleton like a genie put back in his bottle. Uh, it was his. He was always going to struggle coming up against a legit team. But I say, JJ McCarthy, do I trust him? Do I think he's a great quarterback? No. Is Cade Manamara a great quarterback? No. But they don't need to be. They just need to be game managers and at times like this be a handoff merchant. When a team is so used to running the ball and is a well-drilled unit, you just keep going back to the fountain. And if a team can't stop it in the first half, in the second half, they've got no chance of stopping it. Defensive line for Penn State, gassed. Holes were just so easy to form because the O-line for Michigan was just so good. And then when they're changing their backs so constantly, two fresh guys rotating, it just, it's just a recipe for success. And there was not in the, a lot in the end James Franklin could have done. There was no adjustments could have made. Sean Clifford, like I say, didn't have a good day, like I say, but... He's one of those quarterbacks as well that likes to get carried by a good run game. So, yeah, it's going to be hard for someone to stop Michigan's run game. I don't know who it's going to be, but a big statement win. The thrust plate caught him into the Heisman run. People are getting talked about in the draft now, and you'd have to look at them and Ohio State as the big 10 front runners right now. Those two are probably the flag bearers for the division. Absolutely. Um, and I agree with you. I think. J.J. McCarthy is the only question left there now. Um, can he win a game when this run, you know, when this run offense doesn't perform on a day? If a if a run defense comes to play, but you know, I'm not going to hold it against Michigan anymore. They, you know, we criticized the schedule to start with. They ran that schedule. You know, they just obliterated everybody. Um, and then, you know, Penn State, the first fixture, we said, you know, are they going to be able to do this against much better opposition? They went out and absolutely wrecked them. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything against Michigan this week. They look good. 
and we'll see how they do. It's, it's the big one next week, Michigan, Michigan State. We will talk about that next week. All the Michigan, you know, both those sides are on a bye this week. Michigan are not playing, so uh, they're all going to get rested up. And we're going to have a fun nighttime game for this one. That is going to be a doozy. Um, so we will uh, we will update you on that one next week, of course. Our own Matthew Turner is in the building. Hello, Matthew. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying the show if you're listening in to us. Right. The one that shocked me the most last weekend, Rye, I thought I thought it was coming to an end for them, the unbeaten run. This was another un, you know, unbeaten fixture between two teams who had not lost. The TCU Horned Frogs and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I'm not going to lie. At one point, I thought Oklahoma State had this sealed up, so I stopped taking interest in the game. And then the next thing I know, it's in overtime, and TCU pull a rabbit out of their ass and get this victory here. Really, I think this really sort of starts to move them from the are they to they are category this season. They look like a legit team. TCU 43, Oklahoma State 40. A match between two great Big 12 sides this year. They look really good. The pair of them do. Um, you know, this is again a game of a lot of offense. Max Duggan, 23 of 40, 286 yards and two touchdowns. The leader of this TCU team who is just having a phenomenal season. Kendra Miller backing him up in the run game as always. He had 22 carries, 104 yards and two touchdowns. Duggan had a touchdown on the ground as well. Quentin Johnston, this is a name you're going to start hearing a lot in future because he's one of the best wide receivers in this upcoming draft. Eight receptions, 180 yards and one touchdown. This is a good Oklahoma State defense and he made it look incredibly bad. Um, on Oklahoma State's side, Spencer Sanders, 16 of 36, 245 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He had two rushing touchdowns and 68 yards on the ground. Um, Dominic Richardson, the running back, he led rushing and receiving. He had 72 yards and a touchdown on the ground, 79 yards in the air. Um, the defense, um, again, sort of non-existent really on both sides. Um, on Oklahoma State side, five tackles for loss and a sack. TCU, eight tackles for loss, six in the rushing game. They really got after Oklahoma State's run attack and put it on Spencer Sanders' arm, which is not the most ideal situation for Oklahoma State. Um, but again, Ryan, this, was, this looked like Oklahoma State's game for most of this. And just when you're thinking that maybe the TCU bubble has burst, they showed us that they're for real this time. This this answered a lot of questions I had. Oklahoma State, they had a big lead against Central Michigan and then gave away like 26 points in the third quarter. They had a healthy lead against Baylor and then let Baylor come back to make it really close again, took their foot off the gas. This game let TCU get away with one. Did TCU deserve to win this game? Maybe not, like, say, in the balance of play. Before this, Spencer Sanders was playing Heisman standard football. But this game, this was the one where things just didn't go his way. Like, say, they put the game on him to win through the air. And that's just not what he does. Like I say, he is he's a gamer. But he'll have one of those games every season where it just, it just all looks bad and it looks sloppy. 
and his defense this week could not bail him out. And TCU's running uh, running team, let's say, got D. Mercado, got Kendra Miller, the three best nations of tandems. I have Ole Miss, Michigan, and TCU. Them three, I've got the best three pairs of backs in the country because them two can just slice and dice. All three of them have just got interchangeable backs. Throw in Max Duggan, who has gone away from being a primary running quarterback to airing it out a little bit more this year. He's found a better balance in what will probably be his final year. So he's finally putting on better numbers, more equal offense in his what could be his last year. Defense basically went out the window for the majority of the game, but we've said that about three games already now in this pick watch. The TCU, I feel like this is probably, if you asked me on odds this would be a rematch for the Big 12 title game, I'd give you 50-60%. I feel like these two probably could both find their way back. If TCU don't make the Big 12 title game, something they've fucked up. Something has gone wrong somewhere. They've been tested now multiple times. They took down a Kansas side. They took down this Oklahoma State side. Will they slip up this week? against a team they should be expected to beat, it would not surprise me. Because like that that's just kinda of what they do. But right now, they're like just leading the way. But this game, yeah. They got lucky to go to overtime and then their defence got a stand and they managed to put it away with the kick. So yeah. But TCU, like say Gary Patterson left after twenty years, who would have thought that they'd steal a head coach from a rival and then go on such a great run? Like this is their best year since Kenny Hill in like, oh God, like 2015 when they could have made the playoffs. They've been like irrelevant for that whole time period. And they've finally found a team. But this team could easily be broken apart as well. They've got to make it count this year. Their quarterback is about to leave. Like I say, they've got players that could be draft eligible. They've got to make this run count right now. Yeah. If they run the table, they'll get a little bit of playoff chatter. Yeah. Will they make it? Maybe not. But now they've got to. They've got the ball by the horns. They've got to ride it and stay on the booking bronco as long as they can. But yeah, the Big Twelve is just crazy. Oklahoma State. It hurts, but they'll bounce back. Spencer Sanders needs to just shake this one off and go back to being the laser army as all season. But yeah, this was one of those games that could weigh heavily on how both seasons pan out. Yeah, you know what? I, I agree. I think you will get some playoff chart. I mean. You know, Alabama have lost a game now. You're going to have Ohio State and Michigan. Someone's going to take a loss in that one. I mean, Georgia have not looked all-conquering. They've still got to play Bama, and they got wiped by them in the regular season last year. So there might not be a lot of undefeated teams at the top this season. So if someone's going to run the table in the Big 12, and, you know, they, they will be well in the conversation for a playoff spot, I feel. But, yeah, you know... Sometimes the sign of a good team is to win even when you're not playing well. And they say, TCU, maybe did they deserve to win that? No, but they won it. So, who knows? Another big one for them today. We'll see how they do. Um, but, you know, fair play. This was another another absolute barnstormer. There were some, some real big scoring games this week. And, and that doesn't stop. So, the next one we had. Um, Memphis at East Carolina. This one finished Memphis 45, East Carolina 47. This one went to four periods of overtime. Um, both teams got a touchdown in overtime one. Both teams got a touchdown in overtime two, but missed their two-point conversions. They both converted two-point conversions in overtime three. And then finally, 
in overtime for East Carolina separated themselves. They got their two-point conversion. Memphis, unfortunately, did not. Both teams four and three on the season now. Uh, for East Carolina, Holton Aylers, 304 yards and a touchdown in the air. Keaton Mitchell on the ground, 149 yards, three touchdowns. Great game for him. Isaiah Winstead, 9 of 154 and a touchdown in East Carolina's game. Big day for him. Seth Hennigan on Memphis's side, he threw over 400 yards, but he had a couple of costly picks in there as well. He had two touchdowns, two picks. Asa Martin, the running back, had two touchdowns. But in general, the Memphis running game was not very good at all. A um, couple, uh, couple of guys broke 100 in the receiving game. Joseph Skates, 112 yards and a touchdown. Caden Prescorn, 104 yards, no touchdowns there for him. But um, yeah, just another all-out slugfest here, Ryan. East Carolina came up, and I think we both bet Memphis in this. But uh, fun game. So I get still bet this. Yeah, for a neutral, Holton Aylers for like last two or three years has been a quarterback I've loved watching. He is just a wild gunslinger. He has had some doozies in the last few years, but he's also had some huge games. He puts up big numbers. That ACU offense is explosive. Their defense just never really seems to keep pace with them. And Memphis scored that crazy Houston win last week where they scored two touchdowns in like 70 seconds to win the game, 33-32. And then this week, just... Like I say, they they just Jekyll and Hyde. You just don't know what you're going to get from Memphis. Um, I did not like the white and black unis as well. I don't like no. the white tiger stripes. No. Uh, they just look tacky. So they deserve to lose. But yeah, it was another one where Memphis just defense just just goes walk about. Like I say, they're just so unpredictable. You feel like their head coach is always in trouble because you don't ever know what side's going to turn up. And yeah, four and three. Just very average seasons. Yeah, yeah, they're sort of in the middle there, but a fun one in terms of how the the pick watch went there. Um, the next one, um, Syracuse, North Carolina State, North Carolina State missing Devin Leary, their star quarterback, and it showed. Syracuse won this one, twenty-four to nine. Um, I mean, this was this was ugly as far as North Carolina State go. Just three. Three field goals on the day. The running game was averaging three yards per carry. And Jack Chambers, the backup quarterback, he he was okay. He went 18 of 30 for 160 yards. But he ain't a quarterback you're going to put a game on. And, and it showed. And the running game did absolutely nothing. Garrett Schrader for Syracuse was Garrett Schrader. He still managed to throw a couple of picks in there and blemish his day. 16-25, 210 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Sean Tucker continues to be great. Just shy of 100 yards and a touchdown on the ground, although he got a few receptions. So he was 100, 100 plus scrimmage yards on the day. Arandi Gadsen, the second, eight receptions, 141 yards, two touchdowns for Syracuse, who went to work. Um, defense, Jatias Greer had one and a half sacks. Um, did Leon Lowry had a sack on the day. Mikel Jones had a sack. They, they, they did pretty well, all things considered. And, and so did the North Carolina State defense in the circumstances. They got a couple of picks in there as well, tried to keep it competitive. But, I mean, we could talk nice about Syracuse, right? But I think this one was just sort of a gimme. It, 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 it's kind of got an asterisk next to it because there was no Devin Leary in it. But I'm going to be who's in front of you. And Syracuse still, in general, are having a, a damn good year. Yeah. NC State, unfortunately, your season's over. 
your season has died with Devin Leary. I'm just going to say that now. Like They will struggle to win meaningful football games now. And their good start will all be for nothing. There's going to be no trying to get to an ACC title game now, unfortunately. Which is sad. Because now Devin Leary has got a huge question to make. Draft or come back. So he's going to be put under a lot of pressure now to decide what to do. Syracuse. Their defense is really good. Like I said, they've got two mm. one of like best DBs in the nation. Devon Witherspoon playing fantastic football. Looks like a guy that could be drafted. And uh, oh, I always forget his last name. Is it Garrett Williams, the other cornerback, one yeah. of the best in the nation as well. They have got a tandem and a solid defense. Syracuse play really tough football. And Sean Tucker, he's one of the most underrated backs in the nation. Like I say, like I say, you only have to go on his Twitter and see how humble he is. He tweets every game about everything he does. I'd say he seems like such a nice guy. Super talented. And this Syracuse team is one of those, they're probably going to be the biggest surprise package of the whole nation. I haven't looked at their outstanding schedule yet, but they're, they're there to cause a few upsets. Like I say, and they're going to hopefully have a 10-11 win season. Like I say, and they do a lot of it in spite of Schrader. Even though he has the odd week, they do get into these messy games or games where they have to just rely on some stingy defense. But they find it ways to get done. And teams this season do not like going to Syracuse. It's really difficult to go there and get anything out of them. So they are a real trap team. I would not want to play them right now. I don't want. To, I won't want to play them all season. So it's um, at Clemson today. So. Yeah. That is a trap game. <laughs> well, it, if anything, it's it's a way for Sean Tucker to really nail his colours to the mast in terms of his draft stock. If he can go over a hundred again today, then yeah, a lot of people are going to be talking about him. So yeah, well done to Syracuse so far, and best of luck against Clemson today. Because out of all the top seeds at the minute. Behind Michigan, I've got Clemson at this moment in time. They look like they cannot be beaten at this moment in time. Um, a team that can be beaten, though, quite frequently, and who Ryan's probably never, ever going to bet on again, even after this season is done, is Wisconsin. Wisconsin playing Michigan State in a battle of two teams who were all over the place. And um, I bet on Michigan State in spite of myself. Because I've done it enough times now. Ryan went for Wisconsin uh, with the Braylon Allen thing. But um, Braylon Allen did nothing wrong in this game. Graham Mertz screwed up really once again. And their defense was not good at all. This finished 28-34. So Michigan State winning by six. This also went to double overtime. Um, both teams scored a touchdown first overtime. Michigan State got one in the second. Peyton Thorne had himself a decent day. In a very rough season, he got 265 yards and two touchdowns in the air. Jaden Reed threw a touchdown pass as well for 25 yards. Bryce Barringer also tried a pass, uh, but he threw a pick. Uh, not a very pretty play. In fact, it was a damn ugly play that one was. Jalen Berger got a touchdown on the ground, but still can't even get above four yards per carry rushing. That game is anemic as anything. Jaden Reed, 117 yards and a touchdown in the air. The guy is amazing. Keon Coleman, the next guy finding his way through there. 79 yards, two touchdowns in the air. Jacoby Winman carrying on his great season. He had a pick 
um, today. They also got quite a few sacks on Graham Mertz as well. Speaking of, Graham Mertz, 14 of 25, 131 yards, two touchdowns, and an awful, awful, awful pick in there as well. Braylon Allen got two touchdowns at 123 yards on the ground. He couldn't really do a great deal more there. Um, but... <laughs> This was just two bad teams, and someone had to win, and eventually, after two sets of overtime, a team won. Can't say much more about this one, I don't think. No, this was just... Yeah, it was two bad teams just going at it, and if Braylon Allen, if you're watching this, for the love of God, enter the transfer portal. You are going nowhere, Wisconsin. They are killing him. Graham Mertz is shit. He is terrible. He has killed Wisconsin too many times in the last two years. Like I say, there's a reason the head coach is gone. After all that success, like I say, this team is going nowhere and they're going nowhere quickly. Braylon Allen is just 18 years old as a sophomore. There is no chance he's at Wisconsin next year. He can go to any team in the nation. If he wants to go replace Jameer Gibbs, he could walk into the team right now. If he goes to Georgia, if he goes to Alabama, he is just going to destroy shit. Because he last year, he was scary as a 17-year-old freshman. And this team, Wisconsin have got a solid run game. Their O-line really does good do for him. But the team, the defense is just terrible. It just lets them down week after week. Two wide receivers have entered the portal after last week's loss. I didn't even know they had any wide receivers. I don't even know Gray Mertz even throws to. Because he's not very good. And it's just a one-dimension team. And this, even when teams don't stop Braylon Allen, they still end up winning because Wisconsin have just got no answer to anything else. And yeah. I fear for such a great program as the Badgers, they are going downhill badly. And this last year, like I say, they had the chance to win the, the West, but they just let it go at last minute. They're not even relevant this season. They've just got worse. And the, cult, the whole division is just getting worse. Minnesota are bad. Purdue, sloppy, Michigan State, not very good. Like, there's just a lot of bad teams and no one is able to... Two teams are rising to the crop while everyone else is just treading water and sinking. Yeah, that would be great. You, and, and you mentioned Minnesota there. Let's just go straight into that. This was the two best defences, scoring defences, in the nation going against one another. Um, Minnesota at Illinois... Illinois are now ranked. Who the hell would have thought that after they got twon twonked in week two by... Oh, God, who did they lose to? Um, this is a long time ago. I think they got... Was it Wisconsin? Was it Wisconsin? They got twonked by someone in week two, and they looked awful, and I didn't think I'd be talking about them again this season. Nope, Illinois are now ranked. Illinois won this one 26-14, and did that defense show up? Um, it was slightly better against the... I think they were giving up 60 yards rushing a game. They gave up 140 in this one, but that is because of Mohamed Ibrahim, who himself is on a bad team and you really feel for him. Mohamed Ibrahim had 15 carries, 127 yards and a touchdown. He was rushing 8.5 yards per carry and thankfully his mini injury where he seems to be over. Hopefully he can run the season now and carry on through. But this Illinois defense, like I say, they came to play. Um, they gave up 7.7 .7 yards per carry in the rush game but in the passing game, do you want to know how much they gave up? Two yards per play. 
that is it in the passing game. Tanner Morgan. <laughs> oh, God, what was he, Ryan? The next coming of Kenny Pickett or something. Four of 12, 21 yards and a pick. His backup, Athan Kaliakmanis. Kaliakmanis? Two of six, 17 yards and two picks. Oh, oh my god. This Minnesota passing game was absolutely atrocious. Um, and Mohamed Ibrahim, bless him, had to do this all on his own. And it wasn't like the defense was that great either. Minnesota's defense, they had one tackle for loss, no sacks. And um, they... Uh, just, just, just nothing was going in this one. In terms of Illinois' side, though, I mean, we have to start giving them some credit eventually, right? I know they're probably not the best of the best, but Tommy DeVito was 252 yards and a touchdown. Chase Brown, 41 carries, 180 yards. I think he's still the leading rusher in the nation, if I'm not yep. mistaken. He's having a great season and just sort of ground them into oblivion, but... It was hard to watch, but we all knew it was going to be hard to watch because you've got the two highest scoring defenses in the nation in this one. It was going to be tough, but Christ, it was a, it was very difficult to watch Minnesota outside of Ibrahim. Oh, we say that weekly. <laughs> with, with injury, though, like you say, he's played very little snaps this season. He's trying to get everything he can, every, every yard he can. Tanner Morgan. To say like he holds like some silly completion record and like he's supposed to be like one of Minnesota's best of a QBs really does not say a lot about the state quarterback playing in Minnesota or Golden Gopher history, does it? I mean, PJ Flex, PJ Flex, he's got to be on a warm seat. He's got to feel his ass getting a little bit hot, despite that like eight-year contract he was handed like two years ago. Things have gone downhill ever since he was handed that deal, and Golden Gopher football is just bad. Are they worse than Wisconsin? They might be worse than Wisconsin, and they're both bad. I mean, what is it with Big 12 teams giving insanely long contracts to coaches who then are... Are they just giving the contracts out too early? I think If you feel like it was too early for Tucker, although I know he got them into, you know, did well last year, but it's the same with Fleck, you know, as, as if they're just giving it him too early in eight years, it's... It's crazy. Um, Junie is in the building from our Discord chat. He says, we're all fairly lucky that Minnesota game was hard to find on TV, honestly. Yes, it was It was harder to find than a completed Minnesota pass, apparently, that day. If anyone can find PJ Flex buyout, like, Google it. I, I would love to know what it is. His buyout cost must be massive. Because he gets the entire, like, 80% of the remaining time if they move on from him. There's no chance he's getting fired. Junior makes a good point here. If Brett Bielma wins the division again after leaving for years and PJ Fleck still can't get close, then I can't imagine Fleck keeps his job for long. I mean, it's true. I mean, Bielma, I think, was at um, Wisconsin before, won the title there, and then he's, he's he's taken time off, come back, and could win it with Illinois as well. It's um, it's crazy. You've got to assume he is, haven't you, despite that contract? Yeah, they're going nowhere. Players are entering the portal. Autumn Bell, the best receiver, didn't he... Yeah, I think he entered the poll. I think he said he's had enough. And I'd say Tanner Morgan, super senior, is leaving. So, like you say, whether or not happens, he's done. So, what the hell do they do there now? Mm, yeah, like, I mean, 
I can't imagine they'd be that upset Tanner Morgan's leave. They may do, but it could be a blessing in disguise for them. Some of these teams hold on to back quarterbacks for, for way, Ooh. way too long. Ash has just told me if they wait until after 31st December, his buyout is between 5 and $7 million. He is gone. That's pocket change. We just yeah. paid seven Herman. We just paid seven Herman. Herman more like say like some stupid like eight million dollars get rid of him. If you can get rid of PJ Fleck next year for five million, I would be ordering him an Uber. I'd pay to ship him out. Cause like the program <laughs> is just bad. Like say on defense on both sides of the ball, it's just not very good. No. And they're in a division that's really bad, and they're not competing. Yeah, no, I, I agree fully. It's that they need to they need to get rid of it carries on this year, especially in that division which is just atrocious. But yeah, Illinois six and one on the year now, so yeah, go them. Let's see how much the more they can do this season. I'm not sure who they're playing this week. Might be on a bye actually, but uh, yeah, fair play to them. And the last one in terms of the pick watch, before we look at the others, Eastern Michigan, the Eagles. Hi. Quite, quite, quite niche that Junior just joined us now. It's about to talk, Mac. Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan. Northern Illinois blew the doors off, as they would say in the Italian job. This one ended 39-10, to 10, and it was never particularly close. And, and I want to say I'm quite happy with this one, because I said last week, Northern Illinois' offense was not the problem this year. It's that defense which has been rank. It's been horrible. And Eastern Michigan did not match up well in terms of the ground and the run game against the defense. And this one turned true. Northern Illinois just absolutely wiped the floor with them. Um, and it was on the ground primarily. Rocky Lombardi only threw for 115 yards. Only had 15 uh, pass attempts. Completed 11 of them. Harrison Whaley, 16 carries, 158 yards and a touchdown. 10 yards a carry pretty much. Antario Brown at 86 yards and two touchdowns. He was averaging five yards a carry on the ground. And this was this was like your typical Northern Illinois performance. What you expect to see of them, right? They're very strong on the ground. They just asked Rocky Lombardi to do enough through the air and, and they got job done here. Eastern Michigan just looked, they looked bad, really bad. Yeah, and it's weird because like times they've looked really good. Yeah, and then when it when it matters as well, like you say, like inside the Mac, suddenly to just drop a clanger, is weird. Like I say, because they, they've played well. Like I say, was it Western Michigan they beat yeah. last week? Yeah, yeah. And then, like I say, they beat Arizona State with a heavy ground game, and then they go into this game knowing how important it is. This was a big game. This was a really important game, and just nothing got going on both sides. Like I say, they're running back. Uh, was it Steph? Some I can't his name. I feel like it's Seth something. Just uh, had been powering all week. Yeah, yeah. Got totally shut down. Ground game just didn't stop anything at all. Like I say, they got gashed, and I think, like I say, that. But that's the max for you, isn't it? The yeah, it's just the max chaos. The Mac is chaos, and Junior's the first one to admit that. He's just like, no idea what the hell's going on this year. I mean, it's still not bad for, you know, Chris Crichton would take four and three at Eastern Michigan. You know, that is a place where you're not supposed to win games. That is that difficult to win games. Any time you're 500 plus, you are doing a really good job there. So it's not the end of the world as far as they go, and he's still doing a really good job. But yeah, the Eastern Michigan have just established themselves as a team who are all over the place this year. One week they can pull a result out of the bag, the next they just go missing. Um, that's everything in terms of pick watch. I won it this week, yay, but I'm still miles behind. Let's crack on with other games because I have got loads that have been uh, that we need to talk about here and. 
Oh, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. A team that we have to talk about a lot on this pod just because of how good they can be one week and how bad they are the next. And they are a really bad team at the minute. We thought that Notre Dame had entered a period of stability, finally. We thought that maybe a few bad losses to start the season. They've, they've started winning some games now. They're looking a lot more confident. You know, you, you're finally thinking that Marcus Freeman's got the shit righted. And then Stanford turn up and beat them on their home ground. So they've now lost to Marshall and Stanford at home this year. And the fun fact that everyone keeps pointing out is that against other FBS sides this year, Marshall and Stanford are 0-7 combined. Yet they've both been to South Bend and they've both won. And it's kind of like, what the hell, man? What, what What's going on? Stanford are not a good football team at this moment in time. They are a really bad football team at this moment in time. And Tanner McKee, don't care what anyone says, is not one of the best quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class. Yet, somehow they did enough in this one. I mean... Tanner threw loads in this. He had just shy of 300 yards, but no touchdowns, no interceptions. They only ran about 100 yards on the ground. They got one rushing touchdown and then three field goals after that. I mean, how the hell do you go to South Bend, score just one touchdown and win? I mean, Notre Dame, what the hell's wrong with them? This, this was bad Notre Dame again this week and they looked awful. Yeah, they. I don't know where Notre Dame goes from here. Like you say, we thought they'd steadied the ship. We thought Drew Pine had just been like, yep, I'm the guy. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take pressure off Marcus Freeman. And then this was another game really hard to watch. It was goddamn ugly on both sides of the ball. It was not good. And Stanford, who we play today, I might add. So hopefully they keep up that record of crap against everyone. <laughs> But no, that, I don't know, like I say, we were really solid shit sandwich. We were led to believe this Notre Dame defence, it's it, it's the bee's knees, it's going to be shit hot, it's going to carry an offence that's inexperienced. Like I say, Brandon Joseph, nowhere to be seen. Who is it? Like I say, total mistake, like I say, draft stock's getting murdered every game. Isaiah Foskett, I was singing his praises before the draft, people had him as like edge three or four. He's not making a difference. He is not getting in the backfield. His defense is getting gashed. Like I say, it wasn't bad in the red zone, but everywhere else it was bad. Like I say, it was just getting gashed. Like I said, Tanner McKee didn't have to do anything apart from just move the chains in between the 20s and let everyone else do the work for him. But yeah, it's a team devoid of any confidence whatsoever. And now I look, is Freeman an issue? He was supposed to be the heir apparent, this shit-hot DC that was just given the job on a platter like, yeah, you've earned it. Or is it the players not playing for him? Or is there just no talent because their recruiting classes don't arrive for a year or two? Are players going to see this and decommit? There's going to be, got, surely some guys are going to see this and thinking, I'm going to decommit and reopen my uh, commitments because it doesn't look good, does it? It's not appealing. And Stanford, like you say, just... Chaos, total mess. You just don't know which side's going to turn up, so I don't know where either side goes from here now. I can't read too much into Stanford win because they've been so bad everywhere else. And then Notre Dame, one week you think they've got it right, and then next week they just slap you across the face. I mean, is he on a hot seat, do you reckon? 
you've lost to Marshall and Stamford at home. That I know your first year, but that's not good. Those are two massive defeats. And like you say, Notre Dame have some really good recruiting classes coming up. Some really good ones. And that's what a lot of this is based on. But if they start losing them, players start decommitting, going to Michigan, Michigan State, whatever. If that starts happening, that could affect his legacy. I think he's on a hot seat. What do you reckon he is? I don't think so. I don't think he gets judged whatever happens this season. He's inherited a team where he's not been able to really bring anyone in. Like I say, he lost his run game. Karen Williams went. Like I say, receivers, just kind of like odd job guys. The defence has got some talent on it, and he's a defensive mind. So the losses weigh heavily on the defensive side of the ball, more the offence. Drew Pine, just still not committed to him. And I just know Tyler Book, he's just done, we've already seen he's not the guy either. No. So you can't even just roll in the other sophomore because we've proven it. Next year, he starts the season on a warm seat. Like I say, next year, if, if he gets in some recruits, gets in some good freshmen, goes to the portal, they need to go to the portal. They have got to get a running back next year. They need a run game next year because right now it's non-existent. Next year, if this starts badly, I worry for him. But, I mean, next year they, they lose Michael Mayer. He, he's the one legit yeah. piece on that offense. He's going to the draft this year. Another touchdown this week. I mean, you've got to replace him then as well. It's not just his passing, it's his blocking as well. You, you lose a lot with it. That's a big gaping hole to fill. A yeah. big Bosque. gaping hole. Bosque will Bosque's go. going. Mayer will go. Like, say, Brandon Joseph will go. Yeah. Brandon Joseph shouldn't go, but will. Yeah. Because... This is the worst year of tape he's ever going to have. Yeah. I do not think he should enter the draft if he can hold it off. But yeah, like I said, the big pieces are going. There's already no talent there. And you're just bringing in a group of kids. They have got to go to the portal and they have got to bring in some juniors or sophomores or seniors. They cannot rely on this incoming crop of freshmen. No, no, agreed. So yeah, stormy waters at Notre Dame. At the moment. Right, going to move on to a few teams who lost their unbeaten runs this week. And there's one team I just cannot get a grip with this year because one week, I mean, the 3-3, three and three, we're talking about the old Dominion Monarchs here. Wasted Coastal Carolina this week. And I mean, wow, wasted. Yeah. Old Dominion 49, Coastal Carolina 21. And Old Dominion with a roadside here. Now, I was listening to... The, the college podcast I listened to, Winning Cures All, I was listening to that this week, and I asked the guy on there the question about what the hell happened here, and he sort of very simply went back to, he replied to me, went very simply, it's it, it's the coastal defence. They've been playing with fire for years. You've got Grayson McCall there who puts up points en masse, but it's always been a problem, and it continues to be a problem, and it, it looks like it's a massive issue here. I mean... Let me just get the bits up here. So, Old Dominion... I watched a lot of it. Yeah. Wolf just went off. Wolf just had a field there. Yeah. He got... Hang on. I've got the stats. He, he was... Um, so, Hayden Wolf had 180 yards, two touchdowns. Blake Watson, the running back, 18 carries, 256 yards and three touchdowns. 14.2 yards per carry. I mean, that is insane. 14.2 yards per carry. I mean, I just... Yeah. What what, what what, the absolute hell with this one? They sliced and diced Coastal. And this wasn't like it was Grayson McCall's fault. He was 26 of 34. That's good. 
358 yards, three touchdowns, good. He did everything he physically could to keep them in this one. Sam Pinckney got 113 yards on seven receptions. Gerald Brown got 90 yards on five receptions. This was this was a coastal this was a coastal defense problem. And just to kind of put it into perspective for you, they were defensive run stuff rate was eight percent. That's zero percentile. That's as bad as you can get. The havoc rate was two percent, which is third percentile they were gashed on the ground for 11.2 yards per play and through the air for 11.1 yards per play i mean what the hell when you're giving up 11 yards per play through the air and on the ground there's a massive massive issue here and god coastal just got exposed didn't they yeah i was watching a lot of it and it was just the fact that they were scoring so quickly Every time I was looking like, it's like, oh, oh, do you have scored? The drives just were not extending. Like I said, they were literally just home runs galore. At one point, it was just like 23-7, like, oh, they're still in it. 29-7, 35-7, like, oh, my God. I, I, it was just ugly. Like, they're just getting gashed. And I just look at this team and I just think, why did Grayson McCall even stay at Coastal Carolina? Yeah. Why didn't he enter the portal? Yeah. Why didn't he go get a good gig? So we can get a good look at him. Because now I look at him and think, great quarterback, gonna get drafted. But where? How do I how do I evaluate him on a team that is so like this young head coach came in and two years ago Coastal Carolina were like the shit hot brand. Everyone like, don't fuck with Coastal Carolina. And then you're going in like the monarchs are rolling in and just rolling you over. Because you've lost like big guys to the draft, like say, lost some backers, lost their star defensive end. That's no excuse no. for getting turned over by ODU. And Coastal Carolina now, I just got to limp to the end of the year. The bodies are falling, like, say, Grayson McCall's just got to keep doing what he can and try just improve his draft stock in despite of the team. But someone's going to come in as well and probably put another heavy beating on them. Mm. And, and that Sunbelt's just wide open now. Now that James Madison have lost the game and, you know, Coastal have lost again... You know, everyone's beating everybody at this moment in time. Some belts just... These, these conferences are crazy. I mean, Grayson McCall, I agree with you. He should have transferred. That Coastal Cal offense has been one of the best in the FBS the last two years, right? They were ranked really high last year, right? And what was his draft stock this year? People were saying day three pick in a bad quarterback class. So it's like... If you're not getting the recognition you deserve at Coastal, after two years of ruining the FBS, maybe you should transfer and go and do another year and go somewhere higher and prove that you can do it more. Therefore, you will get better draft prospect status. You know, Matt, Matt's in the chat again. He goes, can't contemplate drafting McCall before day three because of the uncertainty. And that's what he's done to himself now. He's he's not done it. I mean, look at Cameron Ward. And I know you're not the biggest fan of him, I am, but he's gone from Incarnate Ward. He's gone up to Washington State. His draft stock's rising week on week at the minute because he made the jump up. He didn't just stay at Incarnate and throw shed loads of touchdowns and your passing yardage there. He made the step up to better, better opposition. And his draft stock is going, you know, really high at the moment. So, I don't get it here. But, I mean... Speaking of quarterbacks, Todd Senteo had a horrible week for JMU. The yeah. Dukes got blasted. What was it, three touchdowns? I think he had four picks. He was either two and three or three and four. He, I thought he was looking, like, good. He had a disaster. 
Well, yeah, that was the next one I was going to go into. Bell was just wide open, like you say. Yeah, well, no, let's, let's, go, let's go straight. I mean, just quickly first, I mean, that Old Dominion, I mean, was it just Coastal Cal were bad? Or, I mean, because Old Dominion had the win over, what was it, Virginia Tech, which they shouldn't have yeah. won. No, and now they are as bad as people think. They've no. got some good players. A lot, and do you know what? Coaching as well. Their coaching is getting better. Yeah. The Monarchs have been terrible for years. They've had some like one and two win seasons, but this year things look different. Oh no, absolutely. I, th- I think you, you know you certainly see a lot of good there from them this year. They've just made the tr- obviously they've just made the the jump across. So they're showing that they can they can compete in the Sun Belt, which for them. Fair play to them. So yeah, but let's talk about James Madison. Another team lost their unbeaten run this week, forty-five to thirty-eight against the Georgia Southern Eagles. I mean, Todd Santeo, like you said, four hundred and sixty-eight yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. They did have a hundred-yard rusher, Percy Agye Obese. Uh, he got one hundred and six yards on eighteen carries. Um, but this was a slugfest. So Kyle Van Trees. 38 of 64, 578 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. Do you want to know how many yards they rushed? In fact, guess how many yards they rushed for in this game. I've seen somewhere. It's something like 60. Um, No, it is uh, 35, 7, 13. They got... Jalen White got 20 yards, and then they had three other rushers get negative yardage. So Kyle Vantries threw for 578 yards, and they rushed for 13. Um, So you can tell what happened in this game. There were three 100-yard receivers. There were five 60-plus yard receivers. Amari Jones, seven of 164. Seven receptions, 164 yards, two touchdowns, 24 yards a catch. Caleb Hood, eight receptions, 131 yards, 16 and a half yards per catch. Jeremy Singleton, seven receptions, 108 yards, 15 and a half yards per catch. Derwin Burgess, seven catches, 84 yards, 12 yards per catch and a touchdown. Jalen White, six for 64, 10 yards and a touchdown. Whew, I think we just got there eventually. Um, defense went crazy, three picks. Anthony Wilson got a sack and a pick. Dylan Springer got a pick. Tyler Bragg got a pick. Um, not not hard to see what went wrong in this one. JMU couldn't stop the pass. I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere Georgia Southern. Like I don't know what category it is, but they've got like a top six offense in the nation. It was in one of the categories. I can't remember. Kyle Van Trees, I remember. He's that six foot eight quarterback that was at Buffalo. Yeah, and looked terrible. Yeah, come to Georgia Southern, and like I said, I mean, but. He had like what was it like only fifty percent completion? He served five hundred yards and his completion percentage was terrible. Imagine if like he completed ten or twenty percent more of his passes. This would have been like a six, seven hundred passing yard game. But yeah, GMU, they're allowed a bad game. This can be their Oh like, yeah. They, they would do yeah, a bad yeah, game. Yeah. I'm not gonna wait too much, but yeah. Defence, their secondary, that's where they need help and need work. And Todd Senteo just had a stinker. If he does, did he win if he doesn't throw any interceptions? Maybe not, but he certainly helped giving the offense the ball back three times, and they lost by a score. So it was a cataclysm of errors. And uh, Aguirre Bursa, I, I like him. He's a good running back. He was really good at the FCS level as well. So there's some guys. Dukes have got some guys. Like say, it don't matter. They can't get ball eligibility. I don't like the rule that teams come up can't make a ball game anyway, but they should still finish the season fairly well. 
I don't oh. think they're even. I don't think they're even allowed to play the Sunbelt Championship. I don't think they're even allowed to make a title game. I'm pretty sure the rules where you jump up, you're not eligible for anything. So I don't think it matters how well they do. But for pride and their own team and recruiting next level, hopefully they shake this one off quickly. And Georgia Southern, very up and down team. Like I say, defense gets shredded, but QB has a monster day and absolutely no rush offense. So JMU, yeah. That was a proper welcome to the FPS. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, you can you can give it them. You you would have expected this by now from one of them. So they're 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 making the progression up. They just came up against a passing offense that was fierce, and sometimes you have to adapt to that. But you know, fair play to Georgeston. I agree. When we were doing the season previews of the conferences, we said um, that um, Ventrice going there was just going to be terrible for them, and they were going to suffer for the year. Yeah, well, we're not wrong. So, uh, oh, we were wrong. Sorry, we're absolutely wrong. I'll, I'll get the metrics up for them at some point. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's bad. I mean, Max in the chat he goes, no eligibility for two years, moving FCS to FBS. Four years from D two to D one. Draft dudes that covered that on Thursday. How are you supposed to encourage the best FCS teams to get to the FBS? If you're just going to penalise them? I swear it was one. I read an article somewhere saying it was one, but. And that was at the start of the season when we were doing the previews on them. I'm pretty sure if you go back to our Sunbelt preview show, I said that uh, James Madison couldn't do it for one year. I'm sure. But I, I, I'm I am open to be corrected. Right. Uh, God, there's still a lot of games to go through. Um, some near upsets this week. Gardner-Webb nearly beat Liberty. That was 21-20. I don't know. So Gardner-Webb have a really weird schedule this year. They've played Georgia Southern, Charlotte, Coastal, Marshall, and Liberty. They're playing a mainly FBS schedule, but I mean, Coastal beat them on the last play of the game, 31-27. Barely, barely beat them. Um, Georgia Southern only beat them by five points, and we've just been talking about how they've put a whooping down on JMU. And this one was 21-20. Liberty barely, barely scraped by with this one, and Liberty were losing coming into the fourth quarter here, um, you know, their quarterback threw a few picks in there, the running game outside of D.D. Hunter looked shot, I mean, this is weird, because Georgia Southern are two, uh, Georgia, sorry, Gardner-Webb are two and five on the season, but they're acquitting themselves against some decent FBS teams, why, why have they got such a heavy FBS schedule? I couldn't even say it, I'm not even sure what conference Gardner-Webb are in, I know... It must have agreed some point to somewhere allocate them, but maybe maybe they're considering jumping up in the next few years. Maybe they asked for a hard FBS schedule, I'm not sure, but I think it's safe to say the Liberty honeymoon is over. Yeah. They made the jump up a few years ago with Malik Willis, looked great. Like I say, they had the season, they had experienced guy in Charlie Brewer, unfortunately got hurt, and now uh, they're just a mess now. Like they've got no real standout players left. And no. now it's just going to be a real tough battle at the end of the year. Like I said, Gardner-Webb probably should and could have won that game and got their big money win of the season. But yeah, an odd schedule. But I applaud them for that. Like I said, that is, like it's probably harder than Georgia's start to the season. And Michigan as well. Michigan probably had a easier start to the schedule than Gardner-Webb did. So, uh, fair play. It's interesting to see if they have a more FCS end to the schedule. They're in the Big South, according to Ash. Um, so That's difficult. Yeah. 
Ah, I mean, that two and five record doesn't really show them then, does it? Because, I mean, it's no. it's a case of they're playing mainly FBS opposition, so that's still a decent team. They just must have, they might be considering it. Who who knows? Uh, but cheers for that, Ash. He's also put in the Discord that it is meant to be. Since uh, they've applied for a waiver, so it's just one year. That That's fine. So, yeah, so it is one year. I thought it was. Um, but it may have two. That's bad. I don't know whether that that must apply to Sam Houston and that coming up then. So, yeah, sure. Right. Um, good God, still a few games. Uh, we'll have a few quick comments on some of these. Um, how worried are you getting about playing Arizona at the end of the season? Arizona, Washington. It was forty-nine thirty-nine to Washington, but um, I mean, Arizona looked good in there. I watched a bit of this, and that offense is putting up points. Forty against Washington. It's no mean feat. I know. We've both done it now. Yeah. Say we, we we dogged Washington. Maybe yeah. Washington aren't just very good. Maybe Washington are just frauds. That's what I'm going to be. If Arizona and Arizona State put, what, like 80 points on you? Yeah. The defense is just not very good. But yeah, Jacob, I think Jacob Cowling is a real draft sleeper at receiver. He is having a fantastic year with Jane DeLoria as a quarterback. And yes, I'm very, very worried. I think it... I think, Last year, Arizona scored a lot of points and we still won. This year, if we lost Arizona, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd give them full credit because they've they've really turned around. They were one of the worst teams in the FPS last year. They were dreadful. And this year, they are pleasantly surprising some people because they got, they got some good recruits as well. Like I said, Arizona are recruiting well. It's easy to get... Like I said, when ASU was about to get sanctions... There are guys that will go to Arizona. Mm. It's just that the, the balance of power is shifting. Yeah, 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 agreed, agreed. Um, they do look really good. Um, Matt goes, it's an awful rule. Apparently it's meant to discourage hasty decisions where they can't really make the jump, but they're greedy. I suppose, but you know, you feel like some of these teams are genuinely making the step up for the right reasons, so... Yeah, that is a shame with that. Um, right, let's just make a note on a few others. So, Hawaii beat Nevada in the bottom basement battle. So, great win for Hawaii there. We'll be talking about them in a bit. UNC Duke, you briefly mentioned this earlier, but I know Duke's season's kind of gone off the rails a little bit since we were, you know, that Kansas game, we were talking about them there. But, I mean, they rallied in the fourth quarter in this one, nearly took down a UNC team who... I still think they're. All, I think I still think they're good. I don't think they're great. I still think they are a little bit fraudulent in terms of the record and that. But Riley Leonard continues to impress for Duke, no matter how their season goes. Now I think he's showed out particularly well. I mean, he had over a hundred yards on the ground again in this one. He had a touchdown on the ground. He he threw one pick, I think, which was a blemish on the day. But apart from that, he played really well. And I mean. You know, Drake May continues to impress. Another 400 yards pretty much through the air. This was this was a battle of two good quarterbacks, and both of them delivered. Yeah, I think Drake May... I suppose you've got to put him in the Heisman talk, really. Like the numbers are yeah. pretty ridiculous. Should UNC be 6-1? No, of course they shouldn't no. be. They're not that good. No. Some of their... Like I said, they've squeaked some by some bad teams. Like I said, Duke. Still not ready to compete, like I say. <clears throat> look good like say uh, a lot of people like say like Riley Leonard but are they going to build around him or next year they're just going to go to crap I'm pretty sure Jalen Calhoun is probably about to win the draft they've got their running back in waters 
I think a lot of these guys are coming to most of their end of the eligibility. They've mm. got to get some guys in. They need to give him some weapons next year. They need to improve as a team. Will they do that? I'm not convinced. Will mm. they go back to being next year being the whipping boys? It could be very likely. This could just be one of those seasons where they have a nice upsurge. So I'd like to see them try have an uptick in form. Yeah. He looks like the guy, like I said, he's got like two or three years left of eligibility. He can only get better and hopefully he's able to stay at Duke or if he gets fed up, he'll move on pretty quickly. And yeah. he'd have plenty of suitors. It's not like if he entered the portal at the end of the year, he would struggle to find work. He'd probably find work really easily. UNC, just an enigma. Like I say, their defence continues to struggle consistently across yeah. the board for a lot of guys. But like I say, as long as you've got Drake May and Josh Downs, you're fine. Sam Howell was fine because he had Josh Downs. Josh Downs is about to enter the draft. What does UNC do next year? Because I know they've got another guy, the, uh, Corrales, who's okay, but can't really bear that torch. So UNC have got to go get some guys. They've got to go get Drake May some guys. They, they've yeah. just got to find some weapons. I mean, what do you reckon... Where is Downs in the pecking order at the minute? Because, I mean, we talked about Quentin Johnston earlier, the TCU guy. I, you know, with JSM been injured, he's probably wide receiver one in this draft now, Quentin Johnston is. I, I would argue Jordan Addison's close as well, but Josh Downs has to be up there. I mean, what, he had 130 yards in this game as well. Again, he just continues to put up stupid yardage. Is he Is he in that conversation? Is he in that sort of top three, four area this, this year, wide receiver-wise? That's... So, uh, the class as a whole, I have question marks. It's nowhere near as good as previous years, is it? Yeah. it if the receiver even... didn't go in the first round, I would not be surprised. I actually, I know they will. Yeah. If the receiver doesn't go round one, I won't be surprised. Because, like I say, it's just a class where round two, they're just going to fly off the board. Yeah, they're just going to. There's just going to be a continuous streak. Like you say, you got Jake Cowan, probably could be a round two or three guy. Like you say, you've got Johnson, you've got A.T. Perry, you've got yeah. guys like, say, Josh Downs, GSN, like say. So there's going to be a heavy run. But, yeah, I'm not convinced by the class as a whole. Oh, no. It, it's, I mean, what, we had six in the first round this year? There ain't six yeah, no this year. No chance You'll get one or two. Yeah. You, you've had two very rich drafts for receivers. This one is not it. I don't know what's happening with Jason. He's still not playing. So you've got to have Jason's some concerns there. He can't enter the draft. No. There's no way. I just don't see him doing it. And with the way that Marvin Harrison's playing and, uh, oh God, Ebuke. Is it Ebuke, the other one? I've I probably got his name wrong. But the way them two are playing at the moment, he might struggle for targets when he comes back. I mean, he probably won't yeah. in that. But those two have really shone in his absence. Yeah, Ibuki, Iku, Ikuganma, yeah. yeah. He is their, I think he's their leader. He has looked phenomenal. And yeah. that kid, like, he's just another team of just star sophomores. They're star freshmen. They're all mm. now star sophomores. Like, Ohio State is just getting better, but they're also young. Yeah. They're a lot younger than Bama and Georgia. The mm. team, like I say, and they're just bringing in more kids, like I say. Ryan Day has just got the best young crop of players to work with in the nation. I think they're going to get absolutely rinsed when it comes to Michigan. I don't think they're ready for Michigan yet. 
just just personally. I, I think you know the offense might do well, but I don't think that defense is going to really really keep them out. It's going to be a lot there, so we'll 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 see with that. Um, a few games left. God, there was a lot of good football last weekend. Well, we'll just maybe have a few quick notes on these. Clemson 34, Florida State 28. Um, Clemson looked really good in this. They just took their foot off the gas a little bit at the end. But DJU and Will Shipley continue to be one of the best uh, quarterback running back pairings in the country. They're both complementing one another very well. And, and DJU especially, his renaissance this year has been great. I was, I was saying again when I was watching this other podcast the other day, I mentioned it. He's running better. He's making sensible decisions when to run on the ground. Last year, he was just scrambling like you know a wandering chicken. You, you didn't know where we were going. He was taking sacks. It looked bad. This year, it's very calculated, and his passing is a hell of a lot better. You know, this was kind of the guy we were promised after Trevor Lawrence. So um, you know, it's you know fair play to DJU. and and like I say Chipley's doing well as well. This Clemson team looks damn good in in, in short, doesn't it? Yeah, a healthy Clemson is a dangerous Clemson. <coughs> Clemson are my sneaky bid. If they win the ACC, they have to go into the playoff. Mm. If the playoff committee expel them or don't put them in and try to go all ACC, there'll be riots because they're back. I do not trust DJU at the draft. I'm not no. drafting him. No. I don't have that much confidence in him. But yeah, the offensive play calling last year was terrible. This year it's better. Like say they got rid of like Spectre and Skolska. They brought in two better linebackers. The defense is just better. There's just no threat to them in the ACC. They're just going to walk the ACC. I'll say that now. Wake Forest not stopping them. There's no one stopping Clemson this year. Clemson are back. But are Clemson back with Georgia and Alabama? I don't know yet. That's a big answer. But I want to find out. I would. I want to see if Clemson are as good as tre- when they had Trevor Lawrence. Oh. Ash, I said no. I'm not going to talk about Ash. I'm not putting a big spotlight on this game. I'm not putting a big spotlight on it. It's just part of the the review. So sorry, we have to talk about. It. I'm not. I'm not going to talk trash about Florida State. You know they were okay, but it was um, part of a decent game. Yeah, I mean, do you think it was Tony Elliott that was the problem there? He's obviously moved to pastures anew now and is not doing so well in his new head coaching job. And that offense just looks rejuvenated. I kind of feel like it was a big Tony Elliott problem now last year. It's looking more and more like that for Clemson. Yeah. In red zone last year, Clemson were terrible. They just they, they just weren't they just weren't built well. It no. was basically look for Justin Ross. A broken Justin Ross and it didn't work very often. And Will Shipley, like say, was hurt. Like say he was that five star back coming out of high school that was one of the best in the nation. And we're not seeing it yet. He still, to me, doesn't look like that five-star stud, but he's getting, he's getting there. It's not a run-heavy offense. He does want to pass the ball. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, Brian Shock's in the chat. He goes, the national champion will come from the Big East. What do you reckon? Uh, no. It'll come from the SEC. But I think Michigan could make the national title game. If they beat Ohio State, I feel like you're probably a shoe in to make the playoffs. Um, I it, it, I kind of feel like oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think George. I think Georgia are, are fallible this year. I don't. I, I think there's dents there. I think they're just waiting for a good team. I think Bama are going to put a hammer in down on Georgia. Yeah. But I think Tennessee can beat the Stetson Bennett led Georgia. I love I Stetson do. Bennett. Yeah. He's one of the best stories in college football. But yeah. He just in. He just in elite. 
he's just a really nice story and a really good quarterback, but he is not he is not going to elevate them to greatness. No, agree. When Stetson Bennett first got the job from JT last year because of injury, we, I know we were very sceptical, but, you know, fair play to him. He has and his a good job. But... His backup, Brock Van de Graaff, like that star freshman, he's not it either. Yeah. Georgia do not have the star QB of the future. No. Georgia need to get... Someone needs to get Arch Manning. Georgia needed Arch Manning so badly, I felt. I think they can. I think he'll. I don't think. I don't think he'll go to Texas. I think he'll decommit. But I could be wrong. I think he could go to ten. I think Tennessee should try to put their name in the hat. Yeah, they're built to win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now, going back to the Big East thing, I think that it's gonna. Right now, the way I feel it, I see it's gonna be. It's gonna be Bama. It's gonna be Michigan. It's gonna be Clemson, and it's gonna be one of. I, th- I think, you know, Georgia, probably be in there. Georgia, Bama, Michigan. And Clemson, I feel like that's what it's going to be at this moment in time, but I could be wrong. But there's a chance, there is a chance. But you know, Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State—they've got a lot to prove. They've got a lot to prove on the big scene. Ohio State against Michigan, and Michigan if they play Georgia again, they're really gonna, really gonna test their credentials, right? Um, what are the other ones I had here? Oh, we mentioned Kansas and Oklahoma. We can mention this: Oklahoma 52, Kansas 42. Dylan Gabriel is back, and all of a sudden, that Oklahoma Sooners football team looks much better for having him back. That offense was really, really bad without him, but he threw for over 400 yards, a couple of touchdown passes, just the one pick on the day, but but everything looked better. Eric Gray on the ground, 176 yards and two touchdowns. I know it is Kansas, but Kansas are a good side this year. Um, it It... It is weird, isn't it? But Dylan Gabriel means a lot more to this team than I thought he might. You know, you thought he's just going to be in there the plug-and-play quarterback, etc. But this team seems to revolve completely around him as to how well they do. Yeah, but so did UCF, didn't they? Yeah. UCF. He was everything to UCF because even though they're playing good football now, like I'm not fooled by John Rice Plumley. He's basically a glorified baseball pitcher running back. Uh, he's, he's not. He's not a quarterback. I, I don't care what anyone says. He's not, and I don't care how good their offense is. Not because of him. But yeah, Dylan Gabriel is everything. He's a funny one in the draft. He's going to enter the draft with really good stock and momentum behind him. But I just don't know where you take him. And I, I remember I said last week that Bean is not good enough to lead that Kansas offense. And I, I feel like I was proved right. I know he did well, but he is nowhere near as good as their starter. Yeah. And that, yeah, they, they, they just weren't efficient up on the ball, and their defense got absolutely rinsed. I Kansas, mean, some parts of their season's over. Yeah, but I mean, for me, this says more about the Sooners continuing problems on defense. You have given up 42 points to a backup Kansas quarterback. I mean, and that's no disrespect to Kansas. It really isn't, but... If you're Oklahoma and you want to be a powerhouse in the Big 12, you can't give up 42 to a backup Kansas quarterback and that team, really, can you? Coming off a defeat, you know, confidence is knocked a little bit. They're on the road. This is at Oklahoma. It, that, and that Oklahoma defense still stinks, really, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oklahoma are light years away from being a playoff team because their defense is dreadful. Just fire. I don't know what you need to do. Fire a defensive coordinator. Just do something. Mm. I said because it's bad. I, I just don't know where the recruiting goes, really. I mean, they recruit such good offensive base players, and then it comes to the defense, and it's like they almost don't care, really, isn't it? I mean, the, just the difference is wild. 
but I don't know. Oklahoma aren't doing much this year. I know that much. I know that. I know they're still up there at the minute. I mean, what are they? They are. Uh, they're four and three. Kansas five and two. Kansas still have a better record even after this. So that Big Twelve is just completely and utterly wide open. Other ones I had here. Um, oh, we got bad Miss State last week. Miss State seventeen, Kentucky twenty-seven. Still not sold on Levis, but I think we just have to. Chris Rodriguez. Yeah, I think we have to accept now that Will Rogers and that offense is a good cop, bad cop. One week they look every bit as good as we know they can be. The next, they're terrible. It's it's the price of paying. It's the price of playing the air raid, I guess. Yeah, and that's why Will Rogers won't be relevant in the draft. No, he no. can be the best SEC QB of all time, which he basically is in completions, but it don't mean a right lot when. Suddenly, for weeks, you go missing, or you throw interceptions, or yeah, it just—it's just a not a good scheme, and it just makes QBs that aren't that good look great. So yeah, I yeah. picked them to get upset against A&M a week ago, two weeks ago. I thought that'd be a bad game. Turns out it was two weeks too early, but I was <laughs> right when I said they are too hot and cold, and yeah. Will Rogers just blows cold. Like say, Chris Rodriguez is back to carrying Will Levis's ass because yeah. Levis was just average. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, Asher, I missed your comment. I'll shout you out. Uh, quickly back to the Florida State Clemson game. I will point out that Florida State had more rushing yards in the first half than any had team had on them in one game all season. Florida State ran the ball well against Clemson, so fair play to them. Um, right, last few. Arkansas whipped BYU. KJ Jefferson was back. That was 52-30. to Big win for Arkansas there. They're getting the season slightly back on track. LSU whipped Florida. And, I mean, I guess we quickly have to stop on this one because... Um, Anthony Richardson and Florida, they're just, they're not it this year, are they? And he, if he knows what's good for him, won't go anywhere near the draft this season um, because he, he he just ain't it yet. No. It's weird. He dropped the AR-15 name and he just, everything's gone wrong since. Maybe yeah. that was a bad omen. But yeah. it's not like, it's not like Florida don't have talent. They went out and got him a kind of like, 1A, 1B, 2A star receiving Ricky Pearsall, who's done well in despite of a bad offense. Yeah. He still looks good. He's still their leading guy. They've still got likes of Ventrell Miller, the star in defense. But collectively, outside of that, like say, is it Zipper is tight end? Like say, there's just not much there. There just is not much to work with. Oh, yeah, and Florida, yeah. Florida are just not built right now to win games. And yeah. LSU, LSU are just that weird bogey team. Yeah, you just, you just don't want to play them because you just don't know what you're going to get. They're they're an upset waiting to happen. Yeah. Like I say, Jalen Daniels is just kind of like, yeah, I'm here. I'm do he's doing okay. He's doing all right. Yeah. LSU has still got some studs on defense as well. I yeah. just feel like they're just still trying to pick up the pieces of where they've left off. Yeah, you've got to be worried if you're Florida. I mean, Jaden Daniels put up 350 yards, three touchdowns, and rushed for three touchdowns as well. So he kind of had a bit of a career day against them there. Florida aren't even close to it. And then the last one, the last one, because there were so many good games last year, we'll end it with this. The Longhorns, Texas, barely scraping past Iowa State. I mean, we talk about not knowing what teams are this year, but... What the hell are the Longhorns? I mean, you you get one week and you feel like, God, this is a really good football team. And then the next you're sort of scratching your head going, 
But are they? I mean, they, they put 50 down on Oklahoma the week before this and didn't give up a point, and yet they struggled massively to put away an Iowa State team that just can't score points. Everyone seems to be struggling with Iowa State because they just drag you into these ugly shit shows. Decker's yeah. terrible quarterback. He's just not very good. Their defense just seems to do enough to make teams really uncomfortable. Yeah. Who was it a week or two ago that really struggled to put Iowa State away? I can't. Uh, Can- them in the- Can- Kansas. 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 Kansas barely Kansas put them really- away. They barely put them away because Iowa State just make games really ugly. And that's how they're getting these wins. And they're just a hard team to play against because they bring you down to their level. And like I said, Texas, like I said, drop a 50 bomb, should have beaten Bama, and then just limping past teams. I don't know, they're just weird. It's, like, it's a team that's stacked with talent and they just don't know how it is. I think it's coaching. It's got to be, hasn't it? Because, I mean, you've got, like, one of the best receivers in the nation, the best running back in the nation, and you've got one of the best quarterback Two prospects in the nation. Two? Like, yeah. Hudson Cart starts on most teams in the FBS. And, yeah, it just doesn't translate, does it? They just don't gel. No. I mean, I mean, they can't... Demario as well, has proved why he's so overrated. Yeah. He didn't his last year's draft because, like, he had injuries. This year... Just totally non-existent linebacker position. I just, yeah. just I'm just not touching him. No. It's so much hype, and he just does not deliver whatsoever. Exactly. Um, like I say the, the playmakers did what they needed to. Bijan had another 135 yards. He's running back one by miles. Xavier Worthy had two touchdowns and 72 yards. I mean, I guess he, we, were, I guess we, I guess we mentioned the wide receiver. I guess we mentioned the wide receiver. Worthy's not. He won't be in the draft this year, will he? He's got another year, I, hasn't he? I think he's too young. I can't see him staying in Texas. No, I don't no. know. It, it's the Arch Manning effect. Does he? St- I mean, I mean, Quinn Ewers is playing well enough. Three touchdowns, yeah. no picks in this one. He seems to be getting back to his best after injury. I mean, what do Texas do if Ewers runs the league, runs out from here, and they win the Big Twelve? Do they just say bye bye, or does? Manning have a red shirt year. Uh, I mean, they can't. I mean, will they give Manning a red shirt year? Let Ewers have another one, then go to the draft. You feel like you can't see that happening, but I feel like Ewers will be more likely to flee before he gets here. Yeah. If if Ewers continues to play well and enters the portal, he won't have to worry about where he's going to go. No. And then Manning can come in, and Manning will either be the best college QB all time. Or he'll be a complete bust. There will be no two ways about it. The way people are talking about him, the expectations he's got to live up to, it can't be easy being a Manning and being a quarterback. No, no, it, it can't be at all. So, I mean, yeah, he's especially depending on what Texas do. If Texas win the Big Twelve, then he's coming into expectations as well. Because Texas will want playoffs year after that. You know, they'll not stop at Big Twelve. They will be massive demands made of him. So, yeah. Could be a potentially tricky situation for him to walk into. Right, that is everything. Unless there are any other games you want to mention before we do, which is about no. 20. But I just was- want to say that the Oregon resurgence is irritating because I spent all last year shitting on Barnex. And he's, <laughs> he's putting up some good numbers in it. He's yeah, it is. 
can't lie, he is. I mean, it was like me with Penix. I was waiting for him to fuck up, and finally that Washington team is screwing up and kind of justifying it. But Oregon, they're just like that tick you can't get out, aren't they? You're trying to pull it out, and it's just stubbornly hanging on in there, and they're carrying on. And you know, it's they've they've got a big one this week. I think I'm not going to make say it's going to make your Bonix truth or any of us a Bonix truth. But if he comes through this week, then. Maybe start being nice. Maybe I start being nice about him a little bit more. I don't know. So let's do it. Let's switch. So we've passed the week seven review. Tons of stuff going on there. Like I say, only nine unbeaten teams left. Um, so we're really getting to the business side of things. Um, when we're back for next week's pod, we will take a look at the conference standings and how it's playing out. Obviously, we're, we're sort of out of sync today. So um, I'm not going to do it today. We'll, we will do it then. So let's take a look ahead to week eight instead um i'm not going to do the usual massive breakdown of our pick watch fixtures or anything because everyone's already picked and again we have other bits to do today so i'm just going to go through our pick watch fixtures right maybe say a little bit about the game make our picks and then we'll look at some of the other games of interest today so a week eight we have some like I say, very big fixtures, some ranked-on-ranked fixtures. The first is in the Big 12, and we're going right back on the TCU train again. So Kansas State at TCU, both these teams are ranked. TCU five-point favorites for this one, but Kansas State under Adrian Martinez, who is there now, and the running back, who's Deuce Vaughan, who's there, they are a very potent offense on the day, and they are not to be taken lightly in this one. I mean, this is actually quite a fun matchup here. You've got good quarterbacks playing well. You've got a great pair of running backs in there playing well. You've got kind of high-powered offenses, which can put up a lot of points. Defenses, which are vulnerable let's say in this one how how do you see this big 12 fixture playing out this is a kansas state upset i think adrian martinez is about to have another massive game and i think tcu just used a big chunk of its good luck to get to overtime and get up past oklahoma state this is the cat among the pigeons that throws the big 12 wide open mm, i think aren't the tcu the only yeah, I think they are the only unbeaten Big 12 team yep. left, aren't they? So, last man standing there. I'm. <laughs> I, I keep betting against TCU all the time and keep having my ass handed to me. But I feel like if I bet for them this week, it is going to be the upset like you predicted there. So, screw it. I'm going Kansas State as well. I think that TCU are there to be upset. I'm still not convinced. If TCU win this one, then I will not doubt them again. I, I really won't, but I feel like it's there to be had. So, yeah, Kansas State sweep for us there. Game of the day for me, this next one. Oh, one of the games of the day. UCLA at Oregon. UCLA unbeaten, one of the nine teams left to do so. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Zach Charbonnet having great individual seasons, personally. You know, DTR's been a lot more consistent with his arm. Uh, Charbonnet's just carried on where he did last year, just having 100-yard rushing games for fun. Um, and then you've got Oregon. Oregon, traditionally, a lot stronger at home. Don't really have a lot of the upset, you know, upsets that we're accustomed to them having in recent years. They save that for when they are on the road. And you've mentioned Bo Nix. He is performing very well. Um, we thought after week one that they were going to be a lame duck for want of um, a pun to be had there, but um, they've they've performed really well. They're five and one themselves. 
UCLA six and zero. Oh. This is this is a massive. This is a this is a this is a test of the credentials for UCLA. They win this, then the Pac-12 championship is. They've got one hand on it already, really. I mean, this is just going to be a tremendous game. But who do you reckon's gonna who do you reckon's gonna win? The winner of the Pac-12 will come from this matchup. I think. I think UCLA, if they win, they're the only chance of the Pac-12 sending a team to the playoff, which I think is unlikely. But Bo Nix has taken the team and put on his shoulders lately, and he's firing on all cylinders. But I don't think Oregon have got the wrong game to match. They just don't have that Charbonnet to take the pressure off. I think this is going to be a 90-plus point game. I'm going to take UCLA. I think they're going to pull away this week. I think UCLA are legit this year as well. I think this is the one where they go from, you know, are they to they are. And I'm with you. I think UCLA win this one as well. There's not me trashing on Bonix. I'm going to just say, all right, he's had a great season. He's really good. But UCLA, there's just something different about them this year. We saw last year they had a really good start, but you always feared for them. You, you, you could see that there was something just not clicking with them and they were going to lose eventually. And they did. This year, I don't get that feeling. Um, in the way they just have dispatched of every team around them. Um, they just they look legit. So yeah, I'm going UCLA as well. So that's sweep again for us. Um, right. Uh, back to the Big 12 because this is just all over the place. The Texas Longhorns at Oklahoma State. The Longhorns favoured by three in this one. Oklahoma State obviously coming off that devastating defeat against TCU last week. But doesn't take away the fact that they're still a very dangerous team this year. And before last week, I thought they were one of the most dangerous in the Big 12. But Texas, they have all this weaponry at their disposal. And even when they're playing bad, they're still grinding out wins. And on their good days, those playmakers destroy teams on their own, those specific three or four guys just change games for them. Um, but Oklahoma State have the home advantage here. Um, what do you think, Texas, Oklahoma State? This is hard because Texas yeah. defense has just been non-existent. But Spencer Sanders, I struggle to trust him now. Yeah, likewise. I'll take Texas just because of Bijan Robinson. I think you can gash them. I think Oklahoma State. This is not the week to rebound. It's not the good matchup they want. No, see, it's tough because, you know, like I say, on their day, Oklahoma State are a really good team, but I just feel like Texas have too much for them. I'm, I'm going Texas with you as well. Um, right, so we are in the ACC next. And, you know, a team we've not really talked about a whole lot this year because, obviously, they were playoff contenders last year. This year... Um, they've really been rebuilding it. Of course, talking about Cincinnati, uh, they're traveling to SMU, Tanner Mordecai there, who the hell knows what they are anymore. They've been very disappointed. Cincy are 5-1 this year, so they've rebounded well from the loss of that entire draft class of people last season. They've only lost to Arkansas. They've beaten soon-to-be FBS team, Kennesaw State, they've beaten Miami, Ohio, Indiana, Tulsa, South Florida. So maybe not the most glamorous of resumes out there. But, you know, the Tanner Mordecai train's like dead in the tracks from last year, what it was. Um, but there's still a dangerous team who on their day will, will beat anybody. It's just they're very wildly inconsistent at the minute, usually more bad 
than good. Um, Cincinnati, SMU, Rye, who have you got? Cincinnati comfortably. Navy absolutely rinsed that SMU defence, and that is, that's a terrible thing to say. They, had mm. the, they lost, but SMU looked terrible. Tanner Mordecai has one good week, one okay week, one terrible week. I think Cincinnati can shut them down. That SMU defense is absolutely awful. It's just dreadful. It's been terrible like every week. And it, they just can't keep going at this pace. No. Cincinnati should win this game comfortably. Tanner Mordecai might play well, but that SMU defense should just be exposed again. Yeah, and the Cincy defense is a different animal. It can deal with high-powered offenses. It could last year. It's been pretty good this year. So if there's any team that they're going to struggle to break down, it will be them. So, yeah, I'm with you. Cincinnati as well. Um, well, we're pretty pretty consistent so far this week. Um, Ash goes, Manning comes in. Ewers comes to Florida State. If Ewers goes to Florida State, Ash, I might start to like them. A little bit more and then oh dear god navy went through the smu defense like a boat through still clear water or a pirate through a bottle from ash i'm gonna have to have words with you and we're gonna have to get your joke statuses up a little bit more but thank you for them still appreciate them um who have we got next oh now this is one i can't call pittsburgh at louisville this is a pick there's no favorite for this one um pittsburgh and keaton slovis still Still not high on them whatsoever at all. And again, who the hell knows what Louisville are this year? They just seem to be going through the motions at the minute. Pittsburgh are four and two. Louisville are three and three. So Pittsburgh's defeats have come against Tennessee, which suddenly doesn't look like that much of a bad loss now. Uh, but they did lose to Georgia Tech a couple of weeks ago, which is uh, not, 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 not a great result for them, really. Louisville, they've just been here, there, and everywhere. They had the ass handed to them by Syracuse and lost the narrow one to Florida State. They lost to Boston College, and Boston College are atrocious this year. But they put down Brennan Armstrong and Virginia last week, but Brennan Armstrong's just fallen off a cliff as well. So, I mean, maybe maybe surprising that there's a pick one here, but Pittsburgh, Louisville, I just, I, I can't find a handle on this one. I have no idea. Oh, I'd say Pittsburgh comfortably. Louisville defense is terrible, and Cunningham irrelevant. All that hype, and he's just fallen flat. He's not a very good quarterback, and I'm just convinced of that now. I've seen him. I've watched some of the games this year, and I'm just I am not convinced by that offense whatsoever. See, I I put like an over under in picks on this one of about five. I feel like this is a game where both of them are going to toss a load of picks because that's what they can do. Um, but if I have to take the lesser of two evils, yeah, I'm, I'm going with you again. It's Pittsburgh. So first half of this, we are all in state on this one. Um, oh, right. So I've got, I put this one in for fun. This is a battle of the bottom feeders. We've got Hawaii at Colorado State. <laughs> This is not going to be a pretty one to watch, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's not on my list of uh, it's not on my list of viewing this year. But would you be surprised to know that Hawaii have a better record than Colorado State this year? Um, Colorado State are one and five. Hawaii are two and five. So Hawaii have not actually well, have they been as bad as they've been advertised? I don't think so. In the last two weeks. They just lost to San Diego State, 16-14, to barely, but 
I don't think San Diego State are good this year. And then they beat Nevada last week. And Nevada technically should have beaten Colorado State. Because Colorado State are that bad. So I, I think Hawaii have a legit chance in this one. Which is why I've thrown it on there. Obviously Hawaii on the road. Colorado State at home. But that Colorado State team is beset by injuries. People transferring out. Real tumultuous time at this moment. With Javon Ovell in charge there now. Whereas Hawaii seems to have calmed it down a bit. After getting tanked a few times early on. Um, what do you reckon? This is the battle of some of the worst teams in the FBS at the moment in time. But somebody's got to win it. I think, I think Colorado State, I think they're going to win that. I won't say it'd be a huge upset. I say I was amazed at what they did to Nevada. I say after all their thing in Hawaii, I just don't trust them, especially away from home. I don't think Hawaii travel very well. No, I feel, I feel like that form will just stay in Hawaii and not go with them. It's going like to, I say, I think it'll be a terrible game. <laughs> I think, where have Hawaii won this year? Is it at the Clarence Ching? Yeah, so both their wins against Nevada and um, Duquesne have come in Hawaii. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to stick with you. We're going, we're going for six for six so far. I'm going to go Colorado State, but there's no, no faith in them whatsoever. Um, Boise State at Air Force next. We're going into the Mountain West. We are going all over the country for the pick watch this week. Um... Atlanta, uh, sorry, Atlanta Falcons. The Air Force Falcons, 5-2 and two on the season. Um, but they've sort of slipped up a little bit in recent weeks. Um, they tanked UNLV last week, but lost to Utah State the week before that. Narrowly beat Navy in the first Commander-in-Chiefs game, but they've lost, to, they've lost to Wyoming and Utah State this year. And Wyoming are better than we've given them credit for, but they're still not great. The Boise State Broncos... Are four and two. They beat Fresno State last week, and they beat San Diego State the week before that. So they're on a two-game running streak now. Now that Hank Backmeyer's left, seemingly they seem to have got into a rhythm. George Halani's doing well at running back. I think Ashton Giante is it? Is the other guy there? They've got a couple of good running back options. You know, in JL Skinner, they've got the best safety in this upcoming draft class. That defense is is good. I mean. Things seem to have calmed down at Boise now that Hank's gone. I think he was the problem there. And But Air Force, good team on the day. This I think this will be a very competitive game. This is an important game. Let's say if Air Force were to lose, I think you can kiss goodbye at Mountain West title. If Boise State win, they somehow miraculously out of nowhere are back in the picture, even though they probably don't deserve to be. I agree, Hank had to go, and Hank... I fear for wherever he goes because I just don't rate him. So I wouldn't be jumping to recruit him. Boise are in good form. Air Force are actually all out of sorts. Like I say, they've been not very good for the past three weeks. Still got Brad Roberts, still got that ground game. But I just feel like this is not a good matchup for Hazik Daniels. Mm. I'll take Boise State. Um. Yeah, sorry, I should have mentioned Air Force four-point favourites, but I'm with you. I think Boise State have turned a bit of a corner here, and Air Force, I'm just not convinced. I'm not as convinced as I was on them a few weeks ago. That lost to Utah State, who are garbage this year, pure garbage, and they lost. That kind of shattered a lot of my faith in them, so I'm going to go Boise State as well. And you're right, Boise State, you know, two of the three fixtures they've got after this one are Colorado State and Nevada. 
So yeah, right. If they win this game, they are yeah, back in the title race. For sure. Exactly. So they've got the momentum on the side. Two straight wins. Good running back room. Obviously, Air Force designed to deal with running backs because they run the triple option. It's going to be it's going to be a very interesting game. If it's on at a time when there's nothing else on, I might actually try and tune in and watch it because I'm I'm very intrigued. But I'm going Boise to God. We're, we're running the table, me and you, this week. This might be a rare one where we do it. Yeah, I thought this was a tough one, but yeah, I'm going Boise State as well. Um, oh, I probably know where you're going to go with this one already. I think we're going to agree on this. Purdue at Wisconsin. Wisconsin, one-point favourites. I don't know how, um, but I'm just straight up picking Purdue for this one. What about you, Ryan? I just I have to pick <laughs> Purdue because I can't pick Graham Mertz. No. If Wisconsin went out there and won, would I be surprised? Probably not, because Purdue are just so up and down. Yeah. But it won't because of Graham Mertz, it's because of Braylon Allen. If you if you stop the passing game and let Allen run through you, you can still beat Wisconsin fairly comfortably. Yeah. I feel like Charlie Jones, like saying Purdue, like the last week or two, kind of been shut down. They kind of like struggled, but this is a good matchup for them because I think that Purdue defense is probably built to handle the. I can't even name your Wisconsin receivers. I don't even know who they are, to be honest. And then Gray Mertz, yeah, that's fine. So, yeah, I'd say Purdue can probably use some explosive offense, probably put Wisconsin away fairly comfortably, and then let just Allen chew the clock up. Yeah. Oh, hang on. You said Wisconsin. I'll purge you. No, I'll say Purdue. I'll purge you. All right, so, right, yeah, we're, we're, we're level on Purdue. But, yeah, I agree. If, if Wisconsin win, it would not surprise me in the slightest. Right. Now, I'm very, very interested for this one, Ryan. We're going to the Pac-12 and battles of two and four teams. Stanford versus Arizona State. Um, Arizona State are on the road for this one. Stanford are favoured by three points, which I feel is a little bit unfair for this. Um, Stanford's two wins, of course, have come against Notre Dame and a tube of toothpaste this year. By that, I mean Colgate. Um, So... Two very contrasting wins there for them. Arizona State, see they've got the two wins on the season as well. They uh, shocked Washington um, last time out, and they've also beaten Northern Arizona in the opener. Um, interested to hear your thoughts on this one, Rye. Arizona State, a road underdog, um, but I feel like Stanford don't deserve that title of being favourite for this. I wish I'd done my homework because Arizona State come off the bye. I don't know if Emory Jones is playing off its ball care. I don't know who's been declared a starter because Emory Jones had the head injury two weeks ago. Oh. That will... Before we pick anything, I think we should, we should know who quarterback is. I think that probably makes it an easier choice. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll we'll defer that one until until we find out. I can't see anything. Um, I can't see anything about it here right now. Um, I think Henry Jones is recovered because they had the bye. They didn't play last week. I think he's okay. Oh, hang on. I've got one here from Arizona State football. It would appear the Arizona State Sun Devils quarterback controversy has ended just as... Jones returned to practice. It appears he will also be resuming his duties as the team's starting signal caller. Was there a quarterback battle there? You know, Trenton, well, Trenton Borgay, it seemed this Arizona State website saying that there was a quarterback battle. I didn't realise that was the case. 
Over the week there was, yeah, because Barkay came in in that fourth quarter and shredded Washington and saw the win out, so they were oh. talking about he could have started this week. Ash has found the exact same article that I found. Thank you, Ash. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, so, Emery Jones is starting by the looks of it. So I'm going to go Stanford. Still? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm just... I was I, I saw like a few weeks of Emory Jones what I liked and then I just been then since my, like I said the whole team basically goes around Xavier Valade. All right, well, on pick number nine out of ten, we are finally going to split. I'm going to back your Sun Devils on this. I think they can go and twonk Stanford. I just don't. I don't like Tanner McKee. I don't like that team, and I think um, you're going to beat them there. And finishing off the pick, watch Old Miss at LSU. Old Miss are two-point favourites for this, and I've seen a lot of comments around them. Old Miss are not getting the love they deserve this season. Um, they have really been forgotten about. They are seven and zero this season. Old Miss are, and they are playing some really good football. I know there's been some weeks when they've been a bit. Mm, is this is this them or whatnot? I mean, the last few games they struggled a bit against Open last week. Open put 34 on them, but before that they twonked Vanderbilt. They just narrowly beat out Kentucky. They beat Tulsa, Georgia Tech. Troy, who decent team, Central Arizona, I think it is, they've beaten as well. And you're coming against LSU, just coming off a big win against Florida. They're 5-2 and two on the season. Um, I mean, let's talk a bit about the Old Miss Rebels first, right? They have gone under the radar very much this year. If you, if I'd say to you, do you reckon, what, what's their record? You probably wouldn't go 7-0. and you maybe go like 5-2 and two or something like that. That's maybe what the record is. But it's not. They're unbeaten, and they're playing good. See, I'm not buying it. Jackson's that. He's not a very good quarterback. But they've got Quinton Judkins, the best freshman running back in the nation, and Zachary Evans, a former five-star star. They've got the best pair of backs in football. That's why they're 7-0. And, and a good defense. Their quarterback is, I think, irrelevant. I have not been impressed with Jackson Dart whatsoever. He has come in and been lukewarm. Like that cup of tea you make and you forget about, but you still have to drink because you don't want to waste the milk. That's Jackson Dart. <laughs> And I'm going with an LSU upset. Oh, wow. I think this could be the week where everyone sees the real Ole Miss. I, if they give Jackson Dart a load of issues, that run, deep, that run offense might not be able to overcome it. I'm taking LSU. They have convinced me that they are someone not to be trifled with. Couple of shockers there at the end. We ride. Well, I'm going to go with Old Miss. I'm, I'm going to ride. I'm going to ride the hot hand there. That's Steve's favourite quote. But um, I mean, Jackson Dart runs the ball. He may not be the best quarterback, but he runs the ball as well. So you say they've got the best running back duo in the nation, possibly, and then they've got a quarterback who can run the ball well as well. And it's we saw Lewis leaves Texas. What Ole Miss? He's heading to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin will go get him. I would take Quinn Ewers over Jackson Dart any day. I think that could be their QB next year. Well, I, all I will say is I saw what Florida State did to LSU with that run game. Florida State murdered LSU on the ground, and Old Miss are more than capable of doing the same. So, yeah, we're splitting for the last two. I'm going Old Miss there. So that is everything pick-watch-wise, but there are some interesting games this week. I mentioned it earlier. Syracuse are playing at Clemson on the 5 o'clock slot today. Is that an upset watch for you? No, because Chase Brown can be stopped by that strong Clemson defense. And Tommy De and uh, 
Garrett Schrader. Ah, he ain't it, is he? He just, no. He's just a handoff merchant or just a designed run or a QB draw guy. That Clemson defense is stopping Syracuse. So, emphatically. So, uh, the battle of the unbeaten Syracuse are going to lose theirs this yep. week. Um, Clemson, I think Clemson are going to run the table. Yeah. Without looking at the rest of the schedule, I think they should run the table. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I kind of agree. I, th- I think Clemson will win. They're really good, but I hope Syracuse put up a good performance there. What I'm interested to get your thoughts on. So, Miss State are playing Alabama. Now, we were talking earlier for a while about how bad Alabama's secondary is and how much they struggle against the pass. And they just happen to have an air raid offense come into town this week. Now, I'm not suggesting that Miss State can really win this, but. This has the potential to be another 52-49 game, really, because of how misstate... Like you said, if you see the blueprint there, target that secondary. They're going to tell Will Rogers to just keep launching this thing downfield all day long. And this could be a lot harder for Alabama than the, the records might say they might be. Yeah, this is going to be learning games where Will Rogers just tees off. Win or lose, he, probably, he could have a massive game. I think Alabama, their offense is probably scored too heavily for Miss State because Miss State still, I say they've only got uh, Quintavious Max. Just, just, just no run game. Miss State just don't even try run the ball, even though they know they can't. That means they can't win these big games. But Will Rogers is probably going to go out there and just have some fun. Yeah, and just pop. He'll either throw like five touchdowns on the pick, or he'll throw two touchdowns and four interceptions. That's the kind of day you'll get. He'll either go all for it and it fails, or he'll go out there and he'll just tear them a new arsehole. Yeah. Probably still lose. Yeah, yeah, agreed. A um, few others. Memphis playing Tulane. Tulane are def- at home defending their new rankings in the uh, the top 25 for the first time in 24 years. I'd be wary of Memphis, though. Yeah, 45 up against East Carolina the other way. Just, yeah. that, that's just... That, that's like... Um, what's it, the Bermuda Triangle at the minute, that group of teams in there, it's like you've got no bearing or direction on them whatsoever. I, I just I just don't have the scoobiest, but I do hope to lay and win for that. Um, Kansas are at Baylor um, in the Big 12. Like, that feels like another loss for Kansas, but, I mean, Baylor are just... Eh, I, I, Kansas could win it, I reckon, even with the backup, but I feel like Baylor have that one. That Baylor defence to me is just wrong. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Dean can probably go out there and look like a star. They're mm. going to make him look better than he is. Blake Shappen had a great game last week, which means this week he's due his down week. Yeah, he's too up and down. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That's going to be close. I, I can't call and can't call a win on that. Um, Houston are playing at Navy. Clayton Tune going to play up there. West Virginia at Texas Tech. The two who blow hot and cold. Texas A and M playing South Carolina. You don't. You don't really hear much about Spencer Rattler this year, do you? He's kind yeah, of... And that's, a, that's a good thing. Oh, well, yeah, probably is. He's not been too deaverish or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and Texas A&M are just off. I, that could be a real slugfest, uh, that one could be. Is there any other games that you want to point out this week before we uh, before we uh, end today? I mean, Iowa... I mean, people... I mean, Matt was talking about this the other day. He's talking about Iowa possibly been a... Banana skin for Ohio State, but I just don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah, not with that quarter. Not with that offense. <laughs> if that, if Iowa win that game, that will be 
Genuinely if one I of the If I win biggest... that game, then literally just... I won't... Just give up. I just give up, yeah. <laughs> I just won't touch CJ Stroud with badge ball. No. I... No, that's... Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, unless there's any other games you want to mention, that's everything in terms of the weekend fixtures. They start today, so... Um, there's been a few. There's been a few results this week already. Um, Troy beat South Alabama in the Battle of the Sun Belt West, so Troy are, Troy are in charge there now. Um, but I think both teams have the same record. I think they're both six and two. Um, so that was a good good win there for Troy. Very defensive game. It was ten six. I think it was in the end. Um, two very good defenses coming up against one another. Um, right. That is everything for today. Um, I know we were going to do the half season mock drafts this week, but because you know we, we've been going a while already, and we'll keep it down. We'll do them next week instead when uh, we're back to our usual schedule. So tune in next week for the um, half season mocks and reaction to week eight, and we'll preview week nine as well. So I'm not going to do all the usual spiel before we go because we're going to do it later. We're going to be back later on with the uh, Detroit Lions at. Dallas Cowboys preview, so do come join us for that. Thank you to everyone who's joined us for the College Pod today. Really appreciate you having you all in there listening to us, especially early on a Saturday morning. Um, And, yeah, thank you ever so much. We shall see you very shortly. Until then, though, one pride. One pride.